there. Welcome to McCartan After Midnight here on The Fan. Good morning, New York sports fans. I'm Danielle McCartan. McCartan After Midnight. We'll be talking all things New York sports until 6 a.m. on this early Sunday morning or late Saturday night if you're out and about in the city that never sleeps or in a rideshare home, possibly. I saw a lot of people out and about tonight in the city or you're working on a weekend like usual. Hey, me and Nick are too. He's behind the glass. He's ready, willing, and able to take your phone calls. You guys know that number, 877-337-6666. Load them up with your best content only, please, everybody. I love when you guys tell me that you are, you're doing your homework. The teacher in me loves that. As I wipe down everything in the studio here with my Lysol wipes, I'm coming to you live from the Mike Francesa studio here in Lower Manhattan. I've got Yankees beat reporter Sweeney Murdy on with us at either, I think we're doing 320 on him. He's going to help us unravel all this Urshela injury news, the DJ LeMahieu stalemate, the Gary Sanchez plan. Did you guys see he had a big swing and miss K the other night or yesterday even? And then last night he had a um, gigantic home run and some many, many other Yankees concepts. And then speaking of beat reporters, I've got a brand new segment for you guys. Play that for you guys around 420, I guess. It's a segment that is called the Battle of the Beat Reporters. I call it beatboxing. This week I got Joe Caparoso from Turn on the Jets squaring off against a friend of the show, Steve Cofield from the Las Vegas Sports Network, and there's going to be six rounds, and then I'll declare a winner. Then I'll send a poll out to you guys to help me hand out a listener's choice belt. I cannot wait to hear what you guys think about this new segment. I'm kind of trying to step out of the comfort zone a little bit. And you know what? Kyrie Irving said, what? So remember when, the, what he said made no sense, and that's Justin Bieber and Travis Scott. Remember when, the week prior to having on NBA insider Brian Scalabrini, I joked about this ridiculous strategy that Steve Nash and the Nets really wouldn't have a head coach after what the two superstars on the team had to say about it. Remember that? And then remember when I asked Brian Scalabrini about that strategy? Former player, he called it laughable. Then do you remember me asking, tongue-in-cheek, really, with him? I said, well, who's going to go to the podium after a Nets loss to explain what went wrong? And who would and who wouldn't have media availability at their lockers after a loss? We obviously conjectured then that the two superstars in Brooklyn, more so Kyrie Irving, was going to let his actual coaches and his teammates take the fall for a loss. We didn't know it was going to happen so soon. Already on Friday night, a month before the first game, Kyrie dodged the media and decided to issue his own Fugazi statement via an email. In it, there's a bunch of mumbo-jumbo, but he did say, in part, one, this is a quote, instead of speaking to the media today, I am issuing this statement to ensure that my message is conveyed properly. That's an end quote. I'm sorry, but do not insult my intelligence. I, as part of this New York media, do not have reading comprehension issues, Kyrie Irving. Your direct quote from the Kevin Durant podcast was, I don't really see us having a head coach. You know what I mean? KD could be a head coach. I could be a head coach. Durant then said, it's a collaborative effort. You then, Kyrie, responded, Nash can coexist with us. We don't need someone to come in with their coaching philosophy and change everything we're doing. Excuse me, but what part of we don't 
need to have a head coach. Did I not understand, Mr. Irving? What are you talking about? It makes no sense. Number two in your statement from uh, Friday night, you said, my goal this season is to let my work on and off the court speak for itself, end quote. Good. So after you have a career game in Brooklyn, you're going to want to speak to nobody about it? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I got that, pal. It works both ways. This is a symbiotic relationship. And Oh, and while we're at it, I also expect you to stop appearing on these player podcasts, too. Will your collaborative head coach, Kevin Durant's podcast, cease to exist in season? Maybe, maybe not. You also said, life hit differently this year, and it requires us, it requires me to move differently. So this is the beginning of that change, end quote. This is a ridiculous way of taking the easy way out and excusing himself from all negative accountability. This would entirely rub me the wrong way if I were his teammate because I'm going to have to be the one to answer the tough questions without throwing my teammate or coaching staff under the bus while Kyrie ducks reporters in the locker room with his $35 million salary for next season. You know this isn't going to last long. This is a guy who is so immature and he has no problem giving his opinion on things that aren't even relevant at all, i.e. the earth is flat. No, it's not. Here's a suggestion, big guy. Why don't you just talk about relevant basketball stuff with the media members just trying to do their jobs? Stay on point, talk basketball, and you've got no issues. That's how it works here in New York. I want you to think about some of the most prominent athletes with staying power here in this city. Eli Manning and Derek Jeter, they come to my mind. Start taking a page out of their books. This city doesn't play around like some of the other fluffy fluffy cities that you've played in. Fluffy cities. Where else have you played? It's not New York. The expression legitimately is Brooklyn, we go hard. That doesn't only apply to the players on the court, buddy. You know what I'm actually even more excited about in Brooklyn? The first pick in the 2021 WNBA draft lottery went to the New York Liberty on Friday night. The Liberty had the highest probability of the four qualifying teams to land that top pick, 44%. If only the Knicks had that kind of luck. And man, oh man, for the second consecutive year, they will have the first overall pick. Big things are building in Brooklyn alongside a true generational talent in Sabrina Ionescu. And you know I don't throw that term around lightly like the other talking heads might. I believe in their system. It seems completely intelligent, and this is going to be the fastest rebuild you're ever going to see. The Liberty will go from worst to a playoff berth next season. Lock it in. You heard it here first. Because the Giants are flying into Seattle, very much still in the hunt for a playoff berth with their backup quarterback. The Giants are in first place in the NFC East without a victory against a winning team on their resume. So 2020, right? Since the current division alignment was adopted in 2002. Both teams, there have only been two teams that have won it with sub-500 marks. The Seahawks in 2010 and the Panthers in 2014. All of these four teams won their wildcard playoff game. If the season ended today, the Giants would have the number four overall seed and they'd be playing the Rams at home. Stop the count. Man, wouldn't Giants fans like to be there on a limited basis at a playoff game? like so many of the other league's teams. 
with an upset win, and, and NFL included. So with an upset win, I think could be possible. Could. Could be possible. I think the Giants' chances to win, uh, if they win this game, their chances to win the NFC East jumps up to 65%. If you factor in an Eagles loss to the favored Packers, and, by, and the Giants are underdogs, and then you factor in a, a Washington loss to the favored Steelers, and for good measure, factor in a Cowboys loss to the favored Ravens, the Giants' chance to win the NFC East is 72% with a win. The entire NFC East are underdogs, by the way, this week. If you don't think the Giants players know this information, no matter how much they tell you that they aren't scoreboard watching, you're kidding yourselves. This is a pivotal game in the Giants' season. In any event, the Giants are looking to defeat a team with a winning record for the first time this season. They lost all three games they have played against teams that currently have a winning record. And to do that, they're going to have to go on the road without their starting dual-threat quarterback in Daniel Jones. What will the Giants' offense look like without Daniel Jones under center? Can the Giants pull off a victory against the NFC West-leading 8-3 Seattle Seahawks. You're just going to have to stay tuned for my prediction. And I told you last week uh, in the Thanksgiving edition that the Jets should be most thankful for Adam Gase. Yes, you heard that right then, and you heard that right now. The mathematically eliminated Jets have more questions than answers on their clipboard at this moment in time. The most pressing being at the quarterback position. Many Jets fans are at odds over whether or not to play Sam Darnold from here on out. So Sam Darnold is a prisoner with the New York Jets for just a few more weeks, and that's Miley Cyrus and Dua Lipa. So yes, of course you let him play out the season. If you answered no to that question, I need to, you to ask yourself a serious question right now. What value does Sam Darnold actually have right now? What value are you trying to preserve? Let's stop perpetuating with all these talking heads are telling you to think. And let's together critically think about this, you guys. Use your own brain. Sam Darnold is 0-7 this season. He missed four games with a shoulder injury. He's engineered only six touchdown drives. Sam Darnold is the lowest qualified rated passer in the NFL. He's working on a career low 64 rating. He has missed wide receivers Wide open wide receivers on so many occasions. And the Broncos, with their practice squad wide receiver playing quarterback, scored as many points as him. Yes, Kendall Hilton threw as many touchdown passes as Sam Darnold did last week. Zero. The Broncos played the Saints. At least they have an excuse. The Jets played the Dolphins. Sam Darnold hasn't thrown a passing touchdown in his last 142 attempts, which is the longest active streak in the NFL. If he doesn't throw for a touchdown within his first eight attempts later today, he'll be the only player in the last five seasons to go 150 straight attempts without a touchdown. That, By the way, he's gone four straight games without a touchdown pass. This is the longest drought for a Jets quarterback since, guess who? Geno Smith in 2013. And speaking of Geno Smith, the Jets' second round, 39th overall pick in 2013, remember what the Jets did with him? Right. They let his rookie deal run out, and they got nothing back for him. Listen, think. Sam Darnold has one year remaining on his rookie deal. Then the amount of the fifth-year option exercised by the team for 2022 is expected to be about $25 million per the new CBA, fully guaranteed. 
which is a lot to pay for the quarterback that I just talked about. And by the way, Jets and Giants fans alike, there are 11 days to get your vote in. So who on your team deserves to go to the Pro Bowl and why? On my list, I've got four Giants and one Jet. So the Yankees universe is doing just what some 41 did in 2002. Still waiting. Still waiting for the team to make a move in free agency. Last or Late Friday night, the Yankees fans received a notification on their phones that Gio Urshela underwent surgery to remove a bone chip in his right elbow with a recovery time of about three months. The frustration among Yankees fans, understandably, is what took so long? While I don't have the answer to that question, I will most certainly be leading off with that one to Sweeney Murdy later on in the program. But for right now, all anyone really knows is that they're expecting a three-week recovery time for him, a gold-glove finalist at third base that the Yankees had last season. And I mentioned before, have you guys seen Gary Sanchez's video coming out of the Dominican Winter League? The video of him with a very pronounced double toe tap and a nice hefty swing and a big old swinging K. Some things never change. Add that to the big old home run that he hit later uh, uh, last night, Saturday night. Should the or will the Yankees part ways with El Gary for the 2021 season? Those are two very different questions. And my bet is that he's back in pinstripes for next season. And there's still no news on the DJ LeMayhew free agency front. And the longer this drags on, the increasingly more anxious Yankees fans are getting. That, too, is understandable. For the Yankees, DJ LeMayhew is he's not just your regular old infielder. Gold glove infielder, by the way. He's not just a 2020 battle title champion, and he's not a, to- a bat- padding title champion, and he's not just a 2020 silver slugger, his second in as many years. No, for the Yankees, DJ LeMahieu represents a philosophical shift in his approach at the plate. In a feast or famine lineup, DJ LeMahieu represents one that is always pleasantly full, the middle ground, the Swiss Army Knife player that Brian Cashman gushed about the Rays having in his season-end press conference. It might be put up or shut up time. DJ seeking a five-year, $100 million contract. We know. Are the Yankees hesitant on the fifth year? Why? The guy has a solid, consistent bat. And he can play multiple positions. A versatility that has undoubtedly already contributed to his worth and will contribute to the length of his career. All I can say is this. If DJ LeMahieu is not playing baseball in the Bronx next season, it would be catastrophic for the New York Yankees. Never mind the fact that he could still very well be staying in New York City but playing in Queens. This song I've never heard of before tonight. This is a track by DJ Mazur, who you might know better as the Mets' newest relief pitcher, Trevor May. He he did this. I found this. It took a little bit, but I got it for you, Mets fans. He's an EDM DJ, by the way, just so you know. It's a little too trancy for my liking, but I would like to talk to him about that EDM music. I will one day, I promise you. So yeah, with the influx of the Steve Cohen money, most Mets fans were hoping for a flurry of activity in terms of either free agency or the trade market or both. Instead, they seem to be moving like the Yankees at a glacial pace. There has been some smoke, but no real fire on any of the guys at the top of the market. But the first domino did fall for the Mets, and that's in terms of of a pitcher named DJ Mazur. I mean, Trevor. No, not that Trevor. This one has the last name May. And he's going to come out of the bullpen. See, I'm paraphrasing the joke that he made on Twitter. If it wasn't funny, 
blame him. But in any event, Trevor May and the Mets came to an agreement on a two-year deal at $15.5 million. Great move by the New York Mets. So, as you can tell, lots to do tonight, lots to get to. I am wearing the Giants sweatshirt that you guys voted that I, that I wore, so I'm wearing it. Let's hit the calls. Everything's on the table. Can't wait to talk with you guys. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan. After midnight on The Fan in New York City. Welcome back to McCartan After Midnight here in New York City, everybody. That's Kanye West here. Uh, listen, we got a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, I open with with a very fiery pledge or, or appeal to Kyrie Irving. And, and Tim on Twitter says, Kyrie's got you so fired up, I swear I almost heard you F-bomb. No, I did not. I stuttered over the word fluffy. I stuttered over the word fluffy, I swear. I really, I did. And because, uh, meaning like he played in, in some fluffy places, not named New York. Come on. New York. We're New Yorkers. We're, I'm, I'm a New Jerseyan. And, and we know now that Connecticut people are called uh, nutmeggers, right? Or nut, nutcrackers? Nutmeggers. We learned that the other week. And so we have a really good BS filter, right? In, in our area, unlike anybody else in, anywhere in the country. So when People try to pass off BS to us. It, alarm bells are ringing everywhere. And so when Kyrie Irving says all this mumbo-jumbo about how he's taking a you know, step back and, and all this stuff, and yet two weeks ago he was on Kevin Durant's podcast, and I'm sure he'll be back on the podcast uh, in, in the very near future. I mean, it's just, it's just a way to duck the, the tough questions. Everybody can see right through that, I think. Unless you're a diehard Kyrie Irving fan and you're going to defend him at any any juncture, that's fine. But you're not going to go there out there and insult my intelligence as a member of the New York media and tell me that what I heard you saying about the coaches, because that's what I'm sure he's referencing, about the Nets not having any real, quote-unquote, real coach, please don't insult my intelligence. You know exactly what you said. Everybody knows exactly what you said. Let's go to calls. 877-337-6666. Lead off, as always. Happy birthday, Kevin. You're on the fan. Thank you, Coach. All right. Kyrie Andrew Irving. I'm going to start with that. <laughs> you know what, Kevin? I really want to like him because he is from our New Jersey. I really yeah. want to like him. It's hard to like him, though. It's it's very hard. Now, I got a lot of issues with him. I'm not going to say, well, not personally, but I got a lot of <laughs> with what he said. Yeah. All right. First thing with this. We don't need a coach. I mean, really? Kyrie, hello, it's the NBA. Everybody's got a coach. They got it in college basketball. They got it everywhere, Kyrie. There's a reason every sport has a coach. <laughs> and everybody, every team in every sport has a coach. One. Everybody yes. needs one. That's one. Yes. Two, what he said yesterday about boy, boy, boycotting the media. This is where I did my homework. I, I, looked, I was spending the week looking up. I actually spent the night looking up what athlete. I've never, because I, I, I was thinking, I don't know what athlete besides him. And I looked it up. Sean Taylor. He reminds me of the late, great Sean Taylor. Mm. If anybody if anybody remembers, when he was with the Redskins, he, he had a beef with the media. Because I think it was a, a prank that a teammate did on him. And he got mad at the media. And he basically boycotted them his whole career. And no, and no matter what he did, no matter all the accomplishments he did, the media, oh, any time something bad happened to Taylor, the media made it hard for him because he didn't talk to them and they didn't know what the truth was. So, Kyrie, my message to you, sir, 
If you don't talk to the media, I've got news for you, boy. The media can be a detriment. And I'm sorry. You, you were, all these years, you were in Cleveland and Boston. Bro, that's, those two cities, they're not New York, bro. I'm telling you, 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 you don't have the skin to make here. And I'm a Knicks fan, all right? I'm a Knicks fan, as you know. But I have a heart for Brooklyn because my mom's from there. Mm-hmm. So, dude, I'm telling you, Kyrie, just play basketball. Stop talking. All right? Please. Or, or Kevin, Please. there's no, no problem with that, right? Play basketball. Talk basketball. That's yes. all people want. This is a symbiotic relationship. But he doesn't do that. I he know. Doesn't. I know. Anything but that. Well, I know. Right. Well, that's the piece of advice I would give him. Don't shut up. Yeah. I would tell him, talk basketball. Yeah, that's it, though. And he doesn't do it, though. He just continues. And I, and I really just, I don't like him. I'm sorry. I tried. I really tried, but I just don't like him. It just. Well, you're you're allowed, Kevin, and, and thanks for the call. It's always well, a. Very good to get a, a little different perspective on different sports sometimes. Sometimes we get so bogged down in, in football and, and baseball, which is great, which I love. But I like to talk a little bit basketball. And, you know, um, I would love to hear more from Kyrie Irving about basketball because I, I really believe the point he was trying to make. You know what? Forget about that. I don't want to read into what he was saying. Brian Scalabrini, our NBA insider, was on my show. He said that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving have brilliant, the word he used is brilliant, basketball minds. I would like to hear about that part of it. Don't tell me the earth is flat. Don't tell me you're turning over a new leaf. Get out there, stand up at the podium, stand at your locker, and talk basketball. That's how you're going to endear yourself to the people of this city. You talk about basketball. Nothing else. Because the, the other stuff seems to get you in trouble. Let's go Vernon in Manhattan. You're on the fan, Vernon. Hey, Daniel. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? You're early this week. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> but I won't have the radio on low so I can still listen to you and the fans. So <laughs> um, my question is a Mets question. And, okay. of course, you, you know I won't come up with that another baseball quiz question for you. Oh, no. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. stumped me last week. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see what happens this week. Okay. Um, let me ask you a question. How come the Mets, maybe I missed out on this, how come they haven't picked a general manager yet? You know what? We talked about this a little bit. I just think that the Mets are just really – Sandy Alderson's press conference, he said he wanted a seat at the table, just not the head of the table. Right. I really do think that if this is all, you know, once once this all shakes out, I think he is your GM moving forward, at least for the next year. That's what I think anyway. Because wouldn't they be interviewing candidates? Wouldn't we be hearing about this by now? Which makes me yeah. think that it's Sandy Alderson. Yes, I, I agree. I mean, they should have picked the general manager, and the general manager could work together to bring in players. So this way, everything could be in sync. But... I'm thinking the same thing. He might be the general manager. Which so. is fine. Yeah, yeah, I have no difficulty with that. Yeah. Um, like, just what they would tell us. Yeah, he's the president and the general manager. Yeah, I know. We could say, I know. okay, let's move on. I know, exactly. <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> one day soon. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> All right, here's your baseball quiz question for the week. Are you ready? Uh, no, I'm not, actually. I'm a little bit nervous here, Vernon, but go ahead. All right. There are, two, there are two men in Cooperstown, uh, in the museum and in the library, but was never inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. 
These two men are there for a famous reason. Who are these two men? And they never played professional baseball. Oh, man. What? (laughs) (laughs) What? Yes, Uh, it's true. Is one Vin Scully? No. I was thinking more like a broadcaster, you know, like along that route. I won't keep you in suspense. The two men are there. It's Abbott and Costello. Uh, who's on first? The whole skit. Yes, uh, yes. Okay. Well, okay, here's the second part of that. Who's on first? Remember, there's nine positions in baseball. In this skit, they did talk about the different uh, uh, positions in baseball. However, there's one position in baseball that's not mentioned in the skit. What position is that? It's got to be the DH, right? Because it wasn't invented back then. <laughs> No, it was right field. <laughs> Daniel, thank you for playing with the quiz master. <laughs> I'll see you next week. But before I go, I'm going to give you a homework assignment. Oh, no, I, I, I got to get my pen out. Go ahead. <laughs> Remember when Cleon Jones caught the baseball in left field to end the 1969 World Series where they won? Mm-hmm. Okay, when he caught that baseball, what happened to Cleon Jones? That's your homework assignment. If you want that answer, contact Cleon. Have a nice day. Vernon, <laughs> thanks. Oh, I can't. He stuffs me every week. I mean, I was born in 1988, all right? <laughs> this is so oddly specific. The Abbott and Costello, that was a great question, actually. And you know what? It's really a shame. I've never been to Cooperstown. You know, I- I've tried to... Uh, organized some trips there with a couple people, and they always just never really panned out. And uh, I actually really wanted to take a drive up there. When they opened it up, it was like, I think it was May they reopened during, you know, the quarantine or whatever. Um, I think they reopened it. I think it was May. And I tried to get my one friend to come. She was like, no, no, no. I, You know, the whole thing. I'm like, yeah, but we worked together, and we were in the same work environment together. We can be in the same car together. We can wear masks. We can we social distance. I was like begging her to go. And Nicole, she said no. She said no a few times. I'm like, Damn. But um, th- that, I think, is probably the best opportunity for me to get there because, as you know, I work Saturday nights and I work Monday through Friday. And uh, so I don't know when the, the next time I'm going to have to or get to Cooperstown could be. Might have to be. Might have to wait till the summertime. But it's on the list. I always wanted to go. Um, I feel it's like something a baseball fan always has to get to. So Cooperstown, among, among all the other stadiums that I have to get through, uh, they're all on my list. Tom in North Brunswick. You're on the fan, Tom. How's it going, uh, Danielle? I'm good. How are uh, you? <laughs> I'm doing all right. It's been a – I haven't called us. I used to call all the time, the fan, and I'm starting to call up again because I'm getting passion for the Mets. But, you know, yes. it's been such a horrible year, so – but uh, go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Mm-mm. I was just happy oh. that you you picked up and gave me a call. Yeah. Well, thank uh, thank you. I'm, I'm happy to talk to you. But um, well, I love following Bernie. He's one of the great Mets fans, and I, I think that Cleon said it was the greatest play of the series, something like that, like the best catch or something. I don't know if he meant that. But, you know, know. when he made the catch, he's some kind of a statement. I don't know. He's, and, the uh, question I wrote it down was, what happened to Cleon Jones was the question. Yeah, I don't know. I know I that, know. Uh, like, he bent down or something. I don't know. I don't know. I can't wait to hear the answer. <laughs> I might just and, look uh, it up now. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, uh, real quick, but um, one thing before that. Uh, I, I, I have, I'm a Knicks fan, so I haven't been able to talk about basketball in years. 
<laughs> you know what? I like I like Kyrie Irving. I you know I think people misunderstand. I, I understand he talks a lot and all that, and you know, but uh, I I don't know. He's eccentric, or uh, you know, like uh, I don't. I, I understand him. I I know he gets on people's nerves. I mean, listen, though, I, but, but you you're know. not gonna you're not gonna say something, and then yeah. and and I am gonna interpret it as you said it, and then you're gonna turn around and tell me I'm wrong. That that's not how this works here in New York. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, I know you got to be careful, but I, you know, I think the media has too much. I'm not going to get into Arbor's thing, but they have, they have to two, they're too into themselves. I mean, they, you know, I mean, I understand you got to kiss up to them and, you know, talk to them and all that. But, uh, you know, he has to do is talking on the basketball court, really. Exactly, and he, right. you know, he should make statements, but real quick, you know, um, I, 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 I think the Mets will sign, uh, make some big free agent signings, but, um, I've been hearing rumors about their the trade. You know, they can trade, but please don't trade Dominic Smith. I you know, know. Dominic Smith, you know, Dominic Smith last year, he finally was healthy. He's young. He has, uh, you know, I know it's a short season, but he drove in 42 runs at 316. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing, the biggest thing that impressed me was he did everything in the clutch. On the biggest stage in the world, like New yeah. York, he, he can play New York. You don't get rid of players like that. Well, the problem is. I wouldn't trade him. The problem is. You got two players at first base. Do you trade Alonso? Yeah, That's the other option. No, I wouldn't. I, you know what they can do? Well, I don't know. Hopefully, they'll have the, 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 the DH. I think they will. I know. But, uh, you know, Dominic can play left field. He's a serviceable left fielder. I just am I'm so afraid for him to get rid of him, uh, Danielle, because I know Tom. I think he's on the cusp of being a superstar. I, I agree. Really do. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Tom. And, and, and thanks for the call. Uh, I, I, I think the Dom Smith outfield experiment is over. I don't think serviceable is even uh, a good enough word to describe that. It was it was a mess. Let's just be honest. It was a mess. And so I think the Mets are just trying to wait and hang on and see what the news is on the DH. I mean, I, I think, I, no, I don't think, I know. I know that's what's holding up all these deals. And maybe not the Yankees and LeMahieu because they're not really affected by it. But the fact that the NL teams, I almost said NFC East, <laughs> the NL teams they don't know if they have to allocate money to to a designated hitter or not is is paralyzing to them. So we've got the winter meetings coming up. What is it this week? Right, starting I believe Monday the seventh, um, and it's going to be voted on and debated upon. And and by the by this time next week, we will know. You and I sitting here should I don't know if we definitely will, but ninety five percent sure that we will know if the NL is adopting the DH moving forward. Um. The CBA is uh, up after this season, so um, I'm going to caution you and maybe tell you that that they could just go back to regular, quote-unquote regular, for this upcoming season and then renegotiate it in a new CBA. Um, but my point of view is why wait? I think the, the DH is extremely a good thing for the NL. I think it's about time that the NL comes on and, and adopts the DH. I mean, I do not want to see pitchers batting. And I think owners also don't want to see pitchers batting, really, deep down, because you think about it, you're paying these guys. Garrett Cole, right? Let's just say Garrett Cole in a World Series has to bat. Let's just say, right? It's the third inning, and his spot, number nine in the order comes up. He has to bat. He has to run. And if there's a play, a bang-bang play, he's got to slide. You know what I mean? You don't want a guy making a contract worth $320 million put in danger on a base path. That See, that's the thing. These guys are so highly paid. 
they are such quote unquote assets that you don't want to put them in a, in a bad position if you don't have to. And the way to get around that is to adopt the DH in the NL finally for, for finally, because not having it is a sign of the old game. And you guys know I'm a baseball traditionalist mostly, but this is something that has to adapt to the new age of baseball just purely based on the amount of money that has wrapped up in these starter starting pitches, especially in the NL. Because they are put in danger when they got a bat in their hands or when they're more particularly when they're running the bases. Look at Chen Ming Wang. He slid into, what was it, third base. Pretty much was never the same after that. And he wasn't paid nearly as high as any of these guys, Jacob DeGrom and all that, right? Enough is enough with it. Enough is enough. And don't forget, it's NFL Sunday. Week 13 action. Giants are in action versus the Seahawks, which could they pull an upset? We don't know. And the Jets, Jets fans are pretty nervous that this would be the game, if any, on their schedule that they might actually pull off. Could they? Now that might be a different story. Get aboard 877-337-6666. I'm Daniel, Daniel McCartan with you here on The Fan. Welcome back, everybody, to The Fan. I'm Danielle McCartan, McCartan After Midnight, with you guys until 6 a.m. Man, we didn't even scratch the surface on what we're going to be talking about tonight. And I wanted to, Vernon, before you drifted off into sleep, I have the answer for you because I would have forgotten. I mean, it's in my notes in my phone, but... So I saw an article from SNY, Cleon Jones. What happened after he caught the ball? Well, the fans streamed the field, which I did know that. So... Cleon Jones, it says, rushed back to the left field bullpen, but the gate was closed. He said, I didn't have any choice. I had to jump over the left field fence and go around it. So in order to get back to the Mets clubhouse, um, I guess he had to run through the concourse of the stadium somehow. Or uh, I, I am not familiar with how City, I mean, how Shea Stadium uh, worked in the underground, but you can, I believe you can get from the bullpen I don't know. I'm actually really not sure. I don't know, but that's what happened. So he had to dr- jump over the left field fence um, because um, the gate was closed and he couldn't get directly back into the bullpen because all the people were streaming onto the field. And that was an article by Anthony McCarron, by the way. So there it is. There is the answer for anybody listening. I hate uh, things that go go too long like that. <laughs> you know, I, I would have been uh, thinking about it all week and then thinking about telling you guys all week. So there's that. If you want to get aboard, 877-337-6666. We were just talking about how the NL should finally, finally adopt the DH, if not uh, for the entertainment factor of it, but to protect the assets that are called their starting pitching. Starting pitchers, let's say. Let's go back to the phones. Joe in North Babylon. You're on the fan, Joe. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, good. What's up? Um, first of all, I want I, I missed the first. 10 minutes of the show, and oh, I know man. Uh, Kevin always calls up, he and did. it was his birthday, yep. so I want to wish him happy birthday. I'm sure he's still listening. I'm sure I'll get a tweet. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, he's a great guy, and I just wanted to say that. Um, and second, Kyrie Irving, he played in Cleveland and, of course, Boston. Yep. There's no media like New York. I know. If he, if he thinks he's going to get away with playing – well, he won't play the 72 games or whatever game yeah. they're going to play. 
without talking to the media, he's going to get destroyed. Yes. I don't care if they make it to the finals or the Eastern Conference finals or whatever. He's going to get manhandled. He needs to wake up. He doesn't have to do interview every day. But, dude, you can't go through a whole season. It's New York. It doesn't work that way. Well, I just think that, you know, on losses, I think this is a built-in excuse. And he, he's going to be like, look at me, look at me, come over to my locker. I've scored 60 points tonight. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't work that way. It's, yeah. it, it works both ways. You have to be up. To, I think of Eli Manning. When he got benched that one day for with Geno Smith, did he throw anybody under the bus? Did, did he, you know what I mean? Take he a page. Stood up, he stood, stood up, up and took it yes. like a man. Yes, and Derek Jeter. Those are the two examples that came right into my mind. Yep. Kyrie Irving should get a book out and start studying it, some of those interviews. Uh, the, Bo- the Boston media could be tough. I understand that. Sure. I used to work up there. They are tough because they only have one team for every sport. Right. So they could be tough. But the New York media, they, I, they will, if you don't give them access, they'll just start making stuff up. That's how it works. <laughs> They will eat. They will eat him alive, and he is thin-skinned. Yeah, and for him to get up there and say the New York media doesn't understand what I said, they took it out of whatever he said context, and they didn't understand it. Please don't insult my intelligence. You you know, and I know exactly what you said. Yeah, you're exactly. just worried that there was so much blowback from it. That's what the problem was. Exactly. Can I ask one more question? Go ahead. Question? Yeah, go ahead. Um, with the Mets. Yeah. You know, so many Mets fans on Twitter. <laughs> are complaining that, you know, where's all the players? You know, we only got Trevor May. Guys, calm down. I I am, for one, I don't mind Sandy Alderson runner, running things. Let's take it easy. Please, guys, take it easy. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Joe, thanks for the, the warning for Mets fans there. And let's take a page maybe out of Aaron Rodgers' book. How about this? Relax, right? Same idea. The, the one caller before was just asking about who, who's the Mets GM. Well, we've got hundreds of thousands of them on Mets Twitter. Maybe that's what it's going to be. Maybe, you know how the Packers are owned by, like, you know, people, regular old people? Well, maybe the Mets GM could be GM by thousands of people committee, <laughs> right? You know, I actually tried for one, one year for Christmas. I tried buying my bro- – my brother's a really big Packers fan. I tried buying him a share in the Packers. Do you, you want that's? I just it, it wasn't like open or something. You couldn't do it at the time. So if anybody knows how to do that, um, and he's not listening now, so this is a safe safe time to talk about it. But I would like to try and buy him a share of the Packers if that is at all possible. How much do you think that would cost? I don't really know, but it'd be his Christmas present probably for the next ten years or so. That'd be, and, that'd and be a very nice Christmas present. Right? Definitely get a good return on it. Right. I mean, the one year I bought him an Aaron Rodgers jersey, which he still wears. I mean, it's like how many years old? So, you know, it'd be cool. Yes, that definitely worth the shot. And I get and, and I get forty percent of the return. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> I think, wins. I think it's a deal. <laughs> yeah. So if anybody knows how to do that, uh, you could DM me on Twitter because uh, that would be a really cool present. I think. Wouldn't you like to get a share of a professional team for Christmas? I'm a pretty I'm a one, I'm a pretty good gift giver. And two, I'm a pretty good sister. You know, just saying. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't have any siblings, but <laughs> I doubt if I did that one of my siblings would buy me a share in a team. So definitely a very nice present. Right. This year though, he and I uh we just sent each other what we wanted. I sent him a Sabrina Inescu t-shirt. That's what I wanted. That's what he's going to get me. And he sent me today some bag that he wanted. I don't know. 
I don't know, but that's what I got him. So there's that. But, you know, for the future. Let's go to Tim in East Haven, Connecticut. Tim, you're on the fan. What's up, Tim? Coach, while we're at it, um, I, I'll, I'll take Giants tickets if you're giving gifts. <laughs> I got to get on a list year, for obviously. them. <laughs> I got to get on the list. <laughs> hey, I wanted to say you were on point with Rocky and the Giants. I loved it. Perfect. Absolutely Isn't great. It? It's the Giants traveling um, across the country with their backup quarterback to try and get a win versus the Goliath of Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, oh, and Tyler Lockett and Jamal Adams. I loved it. I loved it. Absolutely. Um, so speaking of our Giants going over there, I have an MVP so far to our season, and his name is Patrick Graham. Mm, yeah. He's done a great job teaching great team defense. I was quite wrong at the start of the season, screaming for the likes of Nagakwe and Clowney. And, yeah. you know, they, they, he does such a good job with team defense. It's like next man up, like almost Patriot way here. Right. Um, and, and you have getting to contributions think- from Jabal Sherrard and Nico Lalo. Yeah. I mean, who are these guys? <laughs> I know. And they're, they're making, they're making plays and, it's got to be coaching. He puts him in the right place at the right time, and he's doing a heck of a job because they've competed in every single game. And, you know, the Seattle game coming up, it's a lot to ask. It's a lot to ask for, for our, our boy Colt McCoy to go in there and to, to lead us to a to victory. But if they can do some kind of ball control offense and the defense keep us close, you never know. Any given Sunday, right? Right, and, and that's it. And, and, Tim, I know you are a fan of keeping Dave Gettleman. you got to think about all the guys that he and Joe Judge together added to that defense, the best players oh, on my. the defense. Oh, my God. There, there's your Pro Bowl players. You said you had four. Yep. I, I bet you Bradbury's one. Yep. Uh, Martinez, two. Yep. Uh, Big Len, three. Who? Oh, uh, no, I actually don't have him, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, okay. you know what? I probably missed him, but, yeah. Uh, so you got, oh, I'm just, and then uh, Graham Gano is the other one. Graham Gano is definite. Um, anyone on offense? No, it's a defensive guy. The last one. Oh. Oh come on, he played. Oh Logan Ryan. Yes, Logan Ryan. yes, Logan Ryan would be my my fourth. And you know what, <laughs> Leonard Williams, I'd give a look at too. Yeah, that would be five then for the Giants. Yep. And definitely Gettleman stays. I mean, he deserves it. I agree. I agree. And, and, and you know what? Getting back to the Kyrie thing, yeah. he is diarrhea of the mouth. Always has been, always will be. <laughs> I just love listening to you all fired up. <laughs> what? You like Thank what? Thank you for taking my call, Coach. <laughs> What'd you say, Tim? You like what? Love hearing it all fired up. Oh, oh, oh. me all fired up about it? Yeah. Don't insult all my intelligence. Up about it. Yeah, that's the one no, thing. exactly. <laughs> he's all right, he's Tim. an idiot. Thanks for the call, Tim. Thank I appreciate you, it. Yeah, I, uh, I please. That's the one thing. I, I I know I'm an intelligent person and do not in, insult my intelligence. But yeah, if you guys wanted to go with um, who is getting your Pro Bowl vote? And guess what? All those guys: Bradbury, Gano, Martinez, Logan Ryan. Those are all getting my vote. And even you could throw in Leonard Williams. But the, you know, I, I thought about it as we were hanging up there, Tim. The reason why I did not pick Leonard Williams is because I'm not sure how he stacks up really against the other el- elite, quote unquote, elite defensive linemen. You know. So it's, that's probably why I left him off. But the other guys, all the four guys, they're Dave Gettleman slash Joe Judge guys. And I told you guys this. I would love to see a draft in which Joe Judge, who is from the Patriot way, likes, you know, they always pick at the, the back end of the draft. 
in the late rounds, et cetera, you know, late in the rounds, I should say. And Dave Gettleman, who's used to picking at the top of it. You know, I would like to see the marriage between the two of them and see what they can do because this offseason and the free agent that they acquired, stellar. I'm going to use the word stellar because that's, it is. Mike in Brooklyn. You're on the fan, Mike. Yes, how are you, Danielle? I just wanted to ask you a question about the uh, Titans. I, I don't know if you remember, I spoke to you like maybe like eight months ago. Oh, God. What was the call about? Uh, we're talking about with the Titans and the, and the playoffs, but I wanted to know what you think about um, them against the uh, Browns this week because, you know, they won two in a row. So obviously, if they don't win this one, that would be kind of disappointing. Uh, the Titans have suspended their first round pick offensive lineman Isaiah Wilson for Sunday's game. Yeah, he, you know, he, uh, he's been a problem for a while. He was on the COVID-19 list and then he had COVID and then he had a, a DWI. So he's been, that's not really a surprise, you know, to me anyway, but he's been a mess for a little bit. He played last week, like one down and, uh, he got thrown down right away. So yeah, yeah I don't think he's going to last too long. Mike, I think I'm going the Tennessee Titans at home. Uh, I I think I have more trust in Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry than than Baker Mayfield and and what he's working with. I think so. Um, I'm going to go. But they don't have the they don't have the tight end playing tomorrow either. Yeah, uh, John New Smith is not playing. And you know another thing is it's even for them to be to have the record that they have now seven and three is like kind of amazing considering they never do good on free agents. Clowney. Always a problem, hurt, overrated. The other guy, Beasley, I don't even know what happened. Mm. And the only free agent they had in the last like year or so that's been any good is um is Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill, which everyone calls him a manager. But meanwhile, he's athletic and he gets pounded and he still keeps on playing. You yeah. know what I mean? And Derrick Henry is just an animal. Yeah, you look at the teams that they beat. They, I mean, they beat the the Ravens. They they beat. Uh, they played the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers uh, close three. Yeah, points, he missed the know? field goal at the end. Then we had a we had a bad uh, a bad one against the Browns. But anyone that follows the Titans know they always do that once in a while. Yeah, you know, you know what? I, I'm happens. still either way. Either way, I'm st- I'm still picking the Titans there, Mike. Yeah, but you know AJ Brown's been coming on, and Vrabel's always doing you know I really good Vrabel. things. You know, Vrabel? he's always motivating that team. You know, love him. He, He's so creative, right? He's such a creative play caller, play designer. I, I love Mike Rabel. I mean, if they had, like, you know, two more players, like letting Logan Ryan, uh, like you mentioned you yeah. mentioned Logan Ryan, like yeah. that guy's a leader. Letting him go was, was a blow, you know? And then they have Noah Dory Jackson. So for them to be this, you know, this, I'm not saying that they're that good, but they're, they're better when they're on the dog. I don't like them when they're, when they're favorite, but they should beat the Browns, though. I, I mean, it's, I, think so. I think it's going to be a tougher game than people think, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, you know, Mike, we'll, we'll see. But this is the matchup of two eight and three teams uh, in the Tennessee Titans and the Cleveland Browns. So um, I'm not responsible for any money lost on this game. Although I think he is a Titans fan. You look at their schedule and what they've done. You know, I mean, I, I would feel comfortable picking them in this game. And you got the Cleveland Browns, who Baker Mayfield. I mean, how inconsistent is he? Right. You know, though Odell Beckham's still out, right? And then you got you got Derrick Henry for crying out loud. Derrick Henry on the Titans. Come on. Yeah, I'm going Titans on that, for sure. But more locally. I mean, we're just talking about the Giants defense. David Deal and I noted a few weeks ago, and as a coach myself, I see it as a player. He also obviously 
former player, saw it or sees it still, that these Giants continue to play up for whether it be their defensive coordinator or their head coach. Jabril Pepper, I had to double-check this. Jabril Peppers and Logan Ryan, who we've talked about a lot tonight, they played in all 49 defensive snaps last week. 100% of them. Peppers led the team in tackles with six and two defense passes, obviously, as a result. And Ryan forced and recovered a key fumble in the fourth quarter. You ready to get your mind blown about this Giants defense? The Bengals were just three for ten on third downs. Philadelphia, the week before, they did not convert a single third down conversion. So, when you add them two together, over the past two weeks, the Giants have given up three successful third down conversions. Three. That is a mark of a defense that is playing, for I mean, for a lack of a better phrase, out of their minds. Okay, and I know it's the Bengals with a backup quarterback, and I know it's the Eagles with, you know, whoever was quarterbacking for them. They have big questions there, too. You know, whoever was in at that time, let's just say. But, I mean, that's impressive. I think that's impressive. Now, what is the strategy now to deal with Russell Wilson, D.K. Metcalf, who, by the way, I had ranked as the top receiver coming out of that draft class, by the way. I'm pretty good at that. I'm pretty good at that. And and if James Bradbury is on top DK Metcalf, well, that leaves Tyler Lockett, who's covering him. So we will talk more Giants strategy. And do I think the Giants have what it takes to pull it off? They're 10.5-point underdogs last I checked, according to FanDuel. We shall see. Here's Seth Cantor with an update. Welcome back here at the top of the hour, 3 o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning of Week 13 NFL action. The Giants are still in it. The Jets are still in it in a very different way. The Jets are still in it to get the number one overall pick in the 2021 draft, and which is obviously figuring to be Trevor Lawrence, um, the quote-unquote generational talent coming out of Clemson University. They are uh, ahead, I think, is one game ahead of the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I think if you're a Jet fan, you're also a fan of any team that plays against the Jaguars. Just to make sure that they are mathematically locked in to getting that pick. And are the Giants really going to pull this one off? Are the Giants going to shock the NFL later today? They're 10.5 point underdogs. And they're going in there with their backup quarterback. And what does an offense with Colt McCoy look like versus an offense with Daniel Jones? Well, there are there's the obvious difference in that McCoy is clearly not as as uh, mobile as Daniel Jones. But when you look at some of the statistics, they're kind of similar. I mean, there's not, I know this sounds crazy. You know, I, I know this sounds crazy, but everybody's going to tell you, whoever you listen to who doesn't do the research, they're going to tell you, oh, call McCoy, he's a backup, he sucks. Well, when you look at some of the some of the statistics, and I did. Okay, how about a deep threat? Okay, guess what? Both of them average 6.5 yards per attempt. Obviously, the mobility factor goes to Daniel Jones. He has more than double the amount of rush yards per game. 
completion percentage, it's almost exactly the same. Uh, let's see. Interceptions per game. Colt McCoy actually has less interceptions per game. Colt McCoy actually has half the average fumbles per game. And I looked at the career numbers here. And touchdowns per game, Daniel Jones has 1.3 per game. Colt McCoy has 7, 0.71. So advantage Daniel Jones, clearly. But the drop-off isn't so far. It isn't like going through the basement floor. I, I mean, and these are like just six categories that I kind of just figured are important if you're going to be a quarterback playing in the NFL. I mean, the coaches all week have said that the changes to this team are going to be minimal. And I think the biggest difference being that the Giants are in a much better situation with a mobile Daniel Jones. So what do I expect to see? Um, I actually want to see a lot of play actions. Play action passes, play action run, because obviously that's going to open up the deep threat. You have to take shots, right? You have to, because they're the worst passing defense. The Seattle Seahawks have the worst passing defense in the league, believe it or not. It'll be there. And Colt McCoy, in his career, actually does really well in the play action set. And at 34 years old, he's only started seven games in the past nine seasons. He has not won a start since 2014. So in relief of Daniel Jones, right, he was 6 for 10, which is on par with his career number of completion percentage, 31 yards in, uh, passing and a few yards rushing. But the best news I think that the Giants have gone about in this week's preparations is the fact that they, they've been preparing as if Colt McCoy would be their starter. That's going to make him feel totally comfortable with the game plan. It allows him to get the timing patterns down with his receivers. And just overall, it allows him to create more chemistry with the players around him. That was yet another great move by head coach Joe Judge to get to, to not, uh, I don't know the word, but to not have like what Adam Gase did, have so much hope in, in your quarterback coming back to play. And then when he's unable to play in the game, you're like, uh-oh, backup time it is. No, Colt McCoy has been practicing with the first-team offense all week. That's a great move. doesn't take a genius to figure that out, though. I mean, right? It's the NFL on FAN with doubleheader action today as the Giants face the Seattle Seahawks at 4.05 with Giants game day at 1.50 and the Kansas City Chiefs take on the Denver Broncos at 8.20. So keep it here for all the action. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM, WFAN. Uh, I want to go right back to the phones because you guys were waiting on hold for a long time through that. Um, let's go, and by the way, at... Uh, 340. 340. We've got Sweeney Murdy coming up. So 340. So I want to get through these right before then. Hey, Ben, you're on the fan. Ben from Queens. Morning, Coach. Let me just put it this way. Firstly, happy birthday, Kev. Enjoy the birthday with uh, all the, the, the relaxations and festivations in the world. Um, simply put, okay, if you're not there for the funeral, don't be there for the wedding. Yes. Okay. If Kyrie wants to keep his mouth shut, then guess what? When you do something good, don't expect anybody to come and interview you. That's my point. All right? That's, that's it. It works that's, both ways. It's a symbiotic relationship. But, but that, see, this is the thing with fans that like to back Kyrie up. 
Nobody prompted him to give his his views on this. Nobody prompted right. him to give his views on that. It's part of the reason why the Cleveland and Boston locker rooms wanted him the heck out. Yeah. It's part of the reason why I didn't want him on the Knicks. Mm-hmm. The dude is an egotistical head case. But he's a great player, and I but always say, player. I always say, you never give up on talent. I always there, do say that. There, Odell Beckham there, Jr., you know, all that. And and there it goes. That's that's the catch twenty two. He is talented as all get out, mm-hmm. but he'll drive you crazy in between. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and that's it. That's it. Can net fans endure the bat bleep craziness of him? long enough to get a productive return on this contract. That's going to be the fascinating um, psychological study in all of this. Now, now let's get to what I want to talk about. <laughs> Firstly, thank you to BYU and Coastal Carolina. Why? Because you two teams, schools, got together and made this happen. And relatively... I, I'm not hearing any COVID cases, nothing like that. You guys, spurred a moment back, and you know what else that proves? That also proves that all those Power 5 schools who say they can't schedule anything are full of crap because they did that in about three days. Yeah. Okay? So, so not only did we get a good top 20 matchup, that felt like a New Year's Day game because both teams left everything out on the field, yeah. but they, they also exposed the hypocrisy of all of this. In terms of pro bowlers for my Jets, um, yeah, uh, our pro bowl will be the guy who maintains the field at MetLife. That's who I nominate. <laughs> <laughs> the guy that switches over from Jets to Giants every week. That's an amazing process. I've seen it happen. You, you want to know why him and his team, you know, they must, okay, got the Giants here. They, okay, we got put over the Jets. Uh, I can't really get it up to put it over the Jets, but we have to do it. It's our job. Let's go. <laughs> I've seen it. It's amazing. It's a team. It's a team effort there, Ben. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I mean that. That's that's our Pro Bowlers right there. You know that. <laughs> that's it. That that's the that's the. You know, uh, I I could try and say secondary no because they've gotten torched. I could try to say punter no. You know that that's where we're at with that. Um, in terms of the Giants, the Giants know what they have to do. They have to fight through this week somehow with no major injuries. Because Seattle, even if you had Jones, this is bad, especially after Seattle's last couple of weeks. The, the Giants may be made of an, an example of uh, up there to this time. And that's even without the 12th man. So, mm-hmm. yes. all that. And um, Rutgers, you had your chance. And Syracuse fans out there, oh, boy. Um, <laughs> you know what? And the thing was, Syracuse fans were quite positive going into this year. Yeah, it just goes to show, early early season losses, That 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 that's a bad pave stone right there. Coach, once again, thank you for the time, and hopefully you get a chance to enjoy your football Sunday. Of course. I will, Ben, and the same to you. Thank you. Let's go to Franklin in t- Oh, yeah, yeah. Franklin and Totoa, go ahead. Hey, Danielle, I've been meaning to call you a long time. Well, thank you, uh, and I appreciate you hanging on through that, that whole thing. 
No, not, not tonight. I, I meant to call you uh, back in like February before the, the health crisis hit and all. And yeah, you know, I, I uh, <laughs> you know, we talked a, we talked a, a little bit through the internet about uh, uh, you know you, you wore the uh, that Arturo Gatti sweatshirt. Oh, yeah. and I, I commented on how much I like that and that I'm yeah uh, more into combat sports now, MMA and uh boxing is as i traditionally have been uh tonight's a perfect night for me to kind of hang in there and call despite uh you know that ridiculous uh call that you received three three calls ago <laughs> i mean you exerted some tremendous uh what i would say patience there i mean fortitude and hanging out with that guy i mean that was just a, that was a rant that just made no sense from start to finish but <laughs> I know it uh, just went in so many different directions. I I, 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 <laughs> I don't know. I, I just I, I I don't uh I I don't, I don't get it. But uh, I I did call. Um, I wanted to talk to you about um the 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 boxing match. You know, I, I watched the Errol Spence thing tonight, intertwined mm-hmm. with the uh, UFC card, and um, yeah, I can tell you that there is no real comparison from an entertainment standpoint. Uh, what happens UFC compared to what happens in boxing, championship boxing. I mean, the, the entertainment value, the the pure pugilism and, and the, the technique and the, you know, all the, the, the grappling and the wrestling and the, the striking. Yeah, and, the different I mean, styles, all of that. Yes. I mean, it's just so, it's just so far, it's so far beyond what boxing Boxing used to be a, a, a combat sport. It really isn't anymore. And 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 UFC. I mean, this card tonight was just was just tremendous. I mean, the, the middleweight bout was, you know, both fighters threw the most strikes. And if you don't know what a strike is, it's it's yeah, it's a it's like a punch. Yeah, yeah, it's it's punching it's punching a guy in in the gut or in the head or mm-hmm. you know body part. There was you know. Marvin Vittori and uh, Jack Hermanson, they, they 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 each threw more strikes than have ever been thrown in a in a UFC bout uh, going back however long UFC has been around. I guess it's like 15 years. Mm. But, oh yeah, um, I, 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 I just, just got into the sport like a, 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 a 18 months ago, <laughs> and I, you know I, I just uh, I, I, I it's just amazing what what this sport is and. You know, I, I missed out on on so much. You know, pure combat. Uh, it's just it's just amazing how how great that sport is. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, they were. I mean, the cardio. Think about the cardio, uh, Danielle. Oh, the training's insane. Oh, the training uh, is it's, insane. It's absurd. It's absurd what these guys go go through, and it's also the sportsmanship that these guys have. I mean. You know they're they're trying to beat the living hell out of one another, and they they still tap gloves at like after like four rounds of this, twenty minutes of just pounding. Yep. Um, and then know, they speak to just, the media afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They they they. they <laughs> I don't know how they can stand there and take questions. I mean, I I'd be like uh, looking for a heart pump or uh, you know some type of. Uh, Scrambled egg for uh, brains. Resp- res- a respiratory tube or something <laughs> like that. I mean, these guys and, and and ladies. I mean, yeah. You know, some of the best some of the best bouts I've seen are, are between women. I mean, this Amanda Nunes is just 
I mean, it's it's exciting. I know. I mean, it's it, I mean, it's just top to bottom. It's just uh, you know, if I watch a card and a card lasts, let's say, from seven p.m. to like twelve thirty in the morning, mm-hmm. if I'm bored for like ten minutes, it's uh, uh, it's it's like an anomaly. I mean, it's just you know. This boxing is just—I mean—it's yeah, a lot of a lot of defense there, Franklin. Thanks for the call there. The boxing it seems to be a lot of defense, unless you're—I don't want to make fun. Never mind. I was going to say, you know, I was going to mention the fight from last week. Has anybody heard from Nate Robinson? Is he alive? Uh, but Amanda Nunes, I actually, funny story. I, I actually was there for a UFC fight, not for it, but I was there while it was going on, and I was staying in the Signature, the MGM, the Signature there. And I was walking in the hallway just to go to the pool. And there she was right in front of me walking with her trainer. Like it was like so she was going to her weigh-ins is where she was going. And the MGM, if you ever stayed in the signature, you know, it's like a little bit behind the MGM Grand. And she was walking through the hallways to get to the MGM Grand and, and the ballrooms down there where the food court is or whatever all the food is. And uh, she was weighing in. I was like, what? That's so cool. It, it was really cool. I, I was a little bit, you know, that was cool. Bobby in Oceanside, you're on the fan. Hi, Danielle. Good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. So, a very good show. Thank you for that. And um, the main thing. I do my best. (laughs) Now you're doing. It hasn't been an easy night, but you're doing fine. But, um, you know, I'm thinking about the NBA in particular. And when they came back, the bubble was so successful yes. and like I remember the first night I couldn't believe how in shape everybody was and how those guys all came back and they are, were all kicking butt. Like, and the WNBA, don't forget. And the WNBA, same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Both. And and I'm worried about this. Like I think that the good feeling that that brought back at least for me, I just the last time I heard it was 48 guys, you know, tested positive in training camp. And, uh, man, I don't, well, like the NHL, I don't know what they're doing, but we don't hear about them. But They don't even know what if they're I doing were the, <laughs> If I were the NBA, I, I'd wait. Like, I'd wait through the winter. Like, I just, I don't, I don't, you know, you see the Ravens in football and, right. and and I think that we just need to back off again. What do you think? Yeah, and Bobby, that's that's a good question. And um, based on what we know, and I have a minute before I have to get a commercial, but um, based on what we know of the virus, I told you this back in February, basketball would be the sport in a, in a non-bubble situation. Basketball would be the sport that I don't think would, would work. Um, and basketball, you don't have – there's only a, certain, a finite number of players you can have on a basketball team at one time, you know? So if a quarterback room goes out, it's different than an entire team going out because you all practice together as a whole team. Like, you're sweating on each other. Like, all this, you're so close contact with all the other players. So um, I wish they would have adopted a bubble. We'll have to wait and see what, what this new setup is. Um, I honestly don't think it's, it's going to last too long. I think we'll have two weeks and have to shut it back down. That's that's how I think the NBA is going to go, just because of the nature of the game and and the fact that they are they won't be in a bubble. So that's the short version of what I think about that. Sweeney Murdy coming up next right after this this break. Daniel McCartan. 
Sports Radio 1019 FM. The Fan. Sports Radio 66. WFAN. All right, rolling right along here on McCartney After Midnight on The Fan. We have with us Sweeney Murdy, who is um, hopefully with his WFAN Yankees beat reporter information, going to enlighten us with some of this recent Yankee stuff that's been going on with Gio Urshela, DJ LeMahieu, and some other roster moves. So, Sweeney, thank you for joining us tonight. We appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, Danielle. Gio Urshela, late Friday night, Yankees fans received a notification on their phones that Gio Urshela underwent surgery to remove a bone chip in his right elbow with a recovery time of about three months. It was concerning to me uh, because, I mean, I point to the Severino Tommy John surgery in February, which kept him out for the entirety of, of this season. And I know it's that's a procedure with a very long recovery time as it is, but there were allegedly no issues in December, no issues in January. Now Friday with Gio Urshela, to the best of your knowledge, what was the timeline of the tests to the surgery? Remember, he had a problem late in the season that they diagnosed as bone spur, and it sent him to the injured list, but then he came back from that. I believe he received a cortisone shot for that. There were no issues after that. He finished out the season, played fine. At the end of the season, my understanding is that they actually presented surgery to him as an option at that time because he wasn't feeling any symptoms because he finished the season fine and there were no issues he opted against. Now, this is important to know that no team can make a player have surgery. They can recommend it. Uh, they present it to them as an option. And in some cases, whether, you know, sometimes like Tommy John, it's, you know, it's really the only option. Other times you can choose a more conservative path and it's up to the player to decide that. So Gio Rochelle decided at the time not to have surgery, went back home to Columbia. I'm not sure what circumstances changed his mind. I don't know if he started throwing and felt something or if he just simply changed his mind. But whatever point he did, then it's getting him back from Columbia, getting him to New York. You know, obviously we all know the world we're living in right now, travel issues uh, and whatever issues there are scheduling surgery. To my knowledge, that is what the delay uh, was all about. And you're talking about a delay of what, roughly seven weeks since the season ended. It could be something as 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 simple as that's the timeline right there. I don't know when he finally decided, but he chose not to have it. He chose not to have it right when the season ends. If things go smoothly, he will have roughly a month before opening day, four weeks until opening day to get ready. It does shorten his spring training and that assumes no setbacks. So you kind of wait to see how that goes. But I would think it means the Yankees are looking for a lot of depth. It's also hard to figure out what their depth is because he didn't have a minor league season. You're really just looking at whoever's here. You had Miguel Andujar and the up and down that he had. You have guys like Tyler Wade and Tyro Estrada, just your regular backup infielders. You obviously, you're hoping DJ LeMahieu is part of this. I think both infield and outfield, and I'm sure there are a number of teams in the same situation, Danielle, is that Yankees are going to be looking for a lot of you know, people with some, some experience, you know. Uh, some 4A type guys, some guys with some major league experience because you didn't have the chance to develop anybody to the point where somebody who started the year in double A is now ready to knock on the door of the big leagues. That didn't happen last year. Uh, That's a really, really long-winded way of telling you that it looks like Urshela will be ready early in the season, but the Yankees will have to provide, provide themselves with a few options. 
you mentioned a, a string of names, but do you think the Yankees go and look outside the organization for a replacement third baseman for the time being, or maybe, you know, once he comes back, look to move Arshella, you know, once he's healthy and stuff? Well, that's what I mean about looking for the depth options. Um, they're going to have to add some people with some experience in the organization and a lot of positions too. They don't have any other catchers besides Gary Sanchez and Kyle Agashioka. There are no major league caliber catchers in this organization. So that's something they're going to have to do. Uh, so yeah, there's going to be a lot of, I, I think you're going to see a lot of the minor league contracts and guys invited to spring training type of thing. I'm not sure what type of limit they'll set on the number of people that they, they'll do that too, but I think they're going to have to provide themselves with some options. And let me just go back for a second, because I know there's always some questions about the diagnosing of these injuries. Well, I mean, they diagnosed it. It's just the player decided not to have the surgery at that particular time. I think I know people compare this to Aaron Judge, who had an issue all winter long, and then it didn't creep up again until the spring. It's like, well, he reported no problems all winter long. And the player has to be honest with you too about what he's feeling before you're able to move forward. Question came to my mind. I assume he re-aggravated it during some sort of off-season program. Now, being in Columbia, being all over the world, these players are, and I'm not just talking about the Yankees, but the off-season workouts in general, are they overseen by the team, the coaches, the doctors? They have to be, right? Uh, no. I mean, they're you can, they're kind of on their own. I mean, I, I th- everybody leaves with a program, like saying, this is what we'd like you to do. Or this is the, you know, this is the weight we'd like you to report to. And, and I know that there are people keeping tabs on that, but remember these people also are looking out for their own selves and making, trying to make a lot of money. So they're going to employ people who get them in the best shape. And, and sometimes that doesn't always go with the, the organization's plan. I mean, you see it a lot of times when guys report a certain shape in sp- at the beginning of spring training, it's because of the programs they've been on. And sometimes that's regimented by the team. Other, uh, m- most of the time, listen, they can't babysit the players. You know, the players are adults and young men and they go home and they do what they do. I don't know to what level he had started working out and what caused him to go back and change his mind on that. And time we'll find out. Now with this DJ LeMahieu, if it were me, I mean, for all that DJ LeMahieu represents to the team, I would not have let him walk off the plane without a contract. We know they have mutual interest in each other. We've been hearing that. But I feel like the longer this drags on, the greater chance he has to sign elsewhere. And I think for, I speak for Yankees fans everywhere, why haven't the Yankees and DJ LeMahieu agreed to a deal yet? The only thing that would make that happen, Danielle, is if the Yankees handed him a blank check and just said, here, fill it in. That's really not how it works. The closer a player gets to free agency, the more he understands that he's in power and he and his agent know that as soon as they get to open bidding, they're in a more favorable position to earn more money. Keep in mind that two years ago when the Yankees signed LeMayhew, he was a free agent for the very first time. He was seeking a four-year deal, I think at the time, roughly in the $60 million range. Wasn't close to getting it. The Yankees signed him for two and 24. After putting together a couple of years in a bigger spotlight, he's in position to cash in. He's 32. This will be his only chance to cash in at free agency. Let's just say he signs a four-year deal. He's not signing another four-year deal after that. It behooves DJ LeMahieu to find the best deal possible for him. This is him in his future. This isn't simply, let's just sign for whatever the Yankees want to pay me and I'll play. He has built his whole career to this one payday. And even more so because it didn't come around the last time the way he anticipated or hoped it would. Now you're in a position where you're bargaining. I think all observers agree that the Yankees and LeMahieu are the marriage that's going to happen. But at the same time, we're in an odd market here 
where the Yankees probably know that there aren't as many teams out there who are able to financially match what they could. And then it simply becomes a matter of bargaining. If they want to sign him to a four-year deal and he wants a five-year deal, well, okay, well, somebody's got to give. And it's not all that easy to just give on the extra $20 million that that's going to take. Your question is a good one when people talk about why didn't they sign extension? Remember, the player knows this too. And the player's bargaining power is only there when he's in a free market. I mean, we're hearing five years, a hundred million. I mean, that seems to be the standard number. Uh, Jack Curry. That's pretty reasonable. Listen, I, and yeah, I mean, Jack Curry reported that on yes. I would have thought in a normal non COVID environment, I think you could have foreseen you know, five for 125 would not have sounded unreasonable to me considering the type of year he put up. But would he, would he take less to be a Yankee? And if so, would it be on shaving off a year or shaving off a dollar amount? I, that's that's the question I think we're all waiting to have answered. You know, I, I, I don't think there's such a thing as I'll take less to play for the Yankees. And and if it is, you don't articulate it that way. I think you get your best offer that you can. I don't think you I don't think you ever go into a bargaining position and say, I'm gonna take less from you. So because then they're then they're saying, Well, here it is, here's less. I'm giving you less, so please take it. That's not a legit bargaining position. So while it may end up being true, it's not something you articulate in a negotiation. The Yankees, we've heard about this luxury tax. I mean, what is their level of concern with exceeding it? They're sending all the concerns, all the signals that they are concerned with uh, staying under it. You know, I think it's important to remember that they did not sell a ticket this year. They haven't sold a ticket yet for next year. And we don't know if they're going to be allowed to sell a ticket for next year. And that's as, as much as their fortune is worth. That's a big part of the equation because a lot of it, and for every team, it's built on the income that they have coming in. Without ticket sales, you're going to see every team holding to a smaller bottom line. Now, Without knowing when you're going to be able to sell your first ticket, I don't know what team is going to be going beyond. Listen, the Mets are in a different situation because their owner has not experienced this sort of loss yet in this business. I don't even know what sort of loss he experienced in his other business. We just, you know, I think it's foolhardy to assume that he made billions while the rest of the world was was going through what we're going through in 2020. I also think from what I have been hearing is that he's going into this, Steve Cohen is going into this knowing that there's a certain operating loss over the course of the next couple of years. And aside from that, I don't know any team that is going at this and, and not taking into account the fact that they have lost income. I mean, I understand they're billionaires, but they make decisions too. They draw lines. And I think from everything that they've signaled so far, the Yankees are are probably sticking to that, which means it it could mean trading some guy. Like Adam Adovino looks like a guy who could be a trade candidate when you consider if you can stockpile the right arms, the right cost, here's a guy who makes a decent amount of money. And if you shave a little bit off of that, he's might be attractive to some other team who needs a bullpen piece. So maybe you reshuffle the deck a little bit there. I'm not saying they're going to do that, but I can see that being as a, an option for them. With Steve Cohen and not being subjected to this COVID, um, you know, financials, like, do you think, is there a world in which he swoops in and, Steals DJ LeMahieu from the Yankees. I no, I don't. Uh, um, I think it's fun to think about, but I also remember, you know, they're also talking about committing to building their system. You're not signing George Springer, JT Realmuto, Trevor Bauer, and DJ LeMahieu and giving up four draft picks because you know they're all qualifying offer guys. I honestly think the Mets are probably going to sign one of any of those guys. And if I had to bet right now, I might say George Springer. I think that that's really more where to go. Sign one. Make a big move, make the splash. If you're trying to commit to building a system and making this a long-term thing, 
I think the important thing to remember here, Danielle, is that there's a longer game in mind here. You know, Steve Cohen isn't the Mets owner for one year and he's not pushing his chips all to the table for 2021. You know, he's, he just bought the team. He's probably going to have them for a long time. The last owners had them for 40 years. The Yankees owners are going on 50. You're going to hold on to this asset. This isn't win the winter of 2020. This is a, a long-term asset here. And I think Steve Cohen knows something about building long-term assets. I agree with you on that as well. My suggestion here on the show is, uh, and we'll do this these quickly here, but Didi Gregorius, I think he's a good defensive shortstop. He gives the Yankees a lefty hit for average type of bat with a little bit of pop. Has Brian Cashman kicked the tires on him? It's not unusual for the Yankees to bring back certain guys that they've had in the past, but it's only been a year and and the Yankees didn't really pursue him last time. And I think there were internal reasons for that defensively and all that. You're right about lefty bat. I I don't think they were really enamored with putting him back at shortstop for them. Uh, And it was a long-term you know, they were talking about long-term. He ended up signing one-year deal with the Phillies. If it happened, uh, I would be a little surprised. Uh, I wouldn't expect it to be more than a one-year deal, though. I don't think the Yankees, you know, the Yankees, everything that they were signaling last year was that they were ready to move on and not committing to him longer term. So that's kind of where I think they still are. Now, there's been this video of Gary Sanchez shared around social media. He's got this double toe tap going on and this nice, hefty swing. Hmm. Big old K in the Dominican Winter League. But tonight, and also tonight, he had a huge monster home run with a bat flip and everything, which isn't that a microcosm of Gary Sanchez. But with his 147 batting average last season in the short season, are the Yankees in play this offseason for any catcher not named Gary Sanchez? And will they carry three? I can't. Uh, I think we're too far away from it, thinking about carrying three. I, I think Gary Sanchez and Kyle Agashioka are their catchers going into next season. But I think they're, they have to be in the market for some depth at AAA. Uh, some experienced catchers because they don't have any. So I think they'll bring in some people to compete for that. They always do. That's not unusual. We've been told a lot to, you know, be careful what we read into the 60 game season. We're always told not to read too much into spring training at bats. I would read zero into winter league at bats, really. I mean, this is about this to me, this is about getting reps more than anything else, maybe getting a little confidence back. I really dislike breaking down every single at bat like it's game seven of the World Series during the regular season for him. I'm not about to take his December at bats and break those down one by one and assign meaning, certain meaning to each and every strikeout or home run that he hits in the winter league. This is simply about making up for for time, getting some at bats, and maybe getting some groove back for him uh, as he heads into spring. It did not surprise me that the Yankees tended him a contract. It does not surprise me that the Yankees are going, you know, at least one more year here. Uh, it would surprise me if they, you know, made any overtures to a long-term deal. I think, you know, I don't think we're anything anywhere close to that. But I do think you're in the window here where you give him one more chance and and remember that it wasn't that long ago where he put up a really good year for you. The Yankees cannot be rolling into 2021 with this starting pitching rotation. Can they? Are they looking into any adding any arms in the starting rotation? Well, of course. I mean, they lost, you know, a bunch already. And, and I mean, the good news is the season doesn't start yet. And there haven't been a lot of starting pitchers. There haven't been a lot of starting pitchers off the board yet. Um, I think that, you know, I don't think the Bauer thing is something is, is a road they're going to travel. We talked about the luxury tax issue. Um, but I, I do, I could see them, bringing in, you know, a couple of guys, maybe on some of these one-year deals that you're seeing and just adding to that, you know, Tanaka is still a real good possibility, I think. And 
I they're definitely going to bring some guys in, but I I wouldn't expect it to be Trevor Bauer. Yeah, I'm just I feel like they're just missing that that number two, obviously, like that number two guy. I mean, would it be Domingo Herman? Would it be a guy like Jake Odorisi? Would those be the, a, a true number two? I don't know. Yeah, I I wouldn't look at them as as that necessarily. But remember, every time we talk about the Yankees, it doesn't really matter what number you put on them. You know, you know, a Yankee fan still expects the number five guy to win every time he goes out. You know, sure. so it's not like oh, it's okay if he's if he's you know. I, I guarantee you, you know, a guy is your number five starter is is five and four with a four four and a half ERA, and we're talking about you know we'll be talking in in June about who they can trade for as the fifth starter. It's like you know, look around for fifth starters. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yes, they're gonna. They're, they're definitely adding pitchers. Um, I just think it's you know the market really hasn't moved anywhere yet, and maybe I, I, really a lot of it comes back to DJ Lemayhu. I think they're gonna have to see what type of dollar value he uh, eats up for them, what kind of salary slot he eats up for them, and then see what they have left to play with in payroll. Um, I, I, I wouldn't discount trading for pitching like they have in the past. Uh, those are always kind of sneaky moves, you know, that um, that um, you don't always see coming. And that's where I think guys like uh, a guy like Luke Voigt is, is somebody that's, you know, he's I, I'm not saying they're going to trade him, but he has value that that, you know, to trade. So I think that's uh, why you're always kind of looking. Well, Sweeney, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for all that information. And we will, uh, of course, on the phone lines, dissect all of it coming up on the fan. I hope I wasn't too long-winded for you. Have a great night, Danielle. The great Sweeney Murdy with us here on McCartan After Midnight. Um, I, I got a, a Twitter message, not a message, a tweet earlier um, from John John Binks, and he said, you sound great right now. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to read that part, but he wrote, DJ is what the Yanks were in the mid and late 90s. They need to keep him. And I and I wrote back to him. I said, yes, yes absolutely. Stop playing hardball and do it. If the 50 or Maybe the fifth year worries you about his fielding range. Who cares? The guy could play first base. He's he he has so many different positions that he could play. That a fifth year for DJ LeMahieu, especially with the way he he hits the ball and the way he sprays it around the field, fifth year doesn't scare me with a guy like him. A fifth year with Giancarlo Stanton and his body build and the way he plays, that scares me. DJ LeMahieu does not. So I say you do it. Here's Seth Cantor with a quick update. Good morning, everybody. It's the top of the hour. It is four in the morning here in New York City. I just got I just left because as I was hitting the button to come on, I just got a tweet from from Kevin Rivera, and he said. Pat Boyle is missing quite the show this week. Nick, you got a good one tonight. (laughs) I hope you guys are enjoying it. I'm doing the best I can. That's my motto in 2020 with everything. I am doing the best I can. I'm Danielle McCartan with you here until 6 a.m. Man, Kyrie Irving's got uh, got me all heated tonight and some callers calling about Kyrie Irving. But I wanted to tell you something, you guys. I woke up whatever morning it was, Thursday morning, and I had a brand new follower. And guess who the follower was if you haven't seen it already? It was the WFAN official account. I tweeted it asking, does this mean we're officially official? I tagged them. And then whoever runs it, who runs that account? I don't even know. I believe it's uh, who the morning show refers to as Chicken Parm Blue. Lou, uh, Lou right? Uh, 
Di Pietro. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was Lou. Yeah, so the who, I guess it was Lou sent it back to me with a little baby Yoda with a heart. <laughs> so finally, finally, and I, I've not that I really count, but like every time I checked my Twitter after that, it was like new follower, new follower, new. Follower. I did like a hundred in like two days. Is that the power of WFAN Radio? Oh my god! I guess so. I have like no followers, so I could definitely use. <clears throat> that <laughs> but i don't see that happening anytime soon yeah i don't even know how it happened it just was like i woke up and i was like oh wow that's i mean i don't know i've been with the the, the fan for you know we spend every saturday night together for a better part of a year so they're like a year late right following you yeah it's okay yeah. better late than never exactly but never late is better says drake let's go to the phones dino in laurel maryland you've been hanging on for a long time dino what's up Daniel, how you been i'm all right how are you um, well, I've, I've been listening to you for a long time. I guess you said within a year, correct? Yes. You said on the span? Yeah. yeah. You're spawning on a lot of things you say. Now, I, I used to live in New York, so you're spawning on with everything you said, and I'm very happy with you, Lori Rubison, and um, I forgot the name um, on the day show. My apologies. Is it Maggie? Um, Maggie Gray? Mag- yeah, 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 thank you, Megan. And I heard the great story about the um, was the, the kicker from the college team. Yeah. That's an awesome story. Sarah Fuller, yeah. We talked about it, was it last week or two weeks ago? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Maggie Gray mentioned that. I'm sorry you didn't have the interview at the time because I was a school teacher and was doing virtual at the, at the time being. I just want to say congratulations on, on that successful story. Well, well, thank you. I appreciate it. But we're doing hybrid at this point. I'm there four days a week. Gotcha, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, which brings me up to my point. Um, I'm a giant fan, of course. And one mm-hmm. thing – and. My school is 13 minutes away from Baltimore, from where the Ravens play, because um, and we've been 100% virtual from day one. Mm-hmm. Because I live in Baltimore, Maryland. My school is in Baltimore City. Mm-hmm. And last time I checked, the giant team with um, Judge, they did not have any practice as far as the direct, like you used to have football practice back in the day in Jersey. And last time I checked, if I remember correctly, it was just the kicker that um, had the COVID, and he was able to follow protocol. Um, got through it, and last couple of w- wins that they had, I'm happy the fact that he was able to kick, you know, for example, the Philly game. He kicked that clutch field goal because I would be up by 10 against the Eagles then, then only up by 7. And then the struggle game with the Bengals last, last I think it was last week, where he found a way to, despite the fact Daniel Jones had pulled up with a hamstring injury, mm-hmm. he found a way to get, kick another clutch field goal. And the, my only take on it is this. I, I understand about the protocol. I'm going to be wrong. If we're able to follow the protocol, the same thing with Giants football, then explain to me why the heck can't teams like the Ravens and everyone other team follow protocol, especially because of the fact that my school is 13 minutes away from the city, from the stadium in Baltimore, and we have been in 100% virtual since day one. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Danielle. Have a good night. Yeah, you know, you know, I appreciate the call, and I think that was, um, I think that was the level of anger expressed around the league, uh, certainly from the Steelers and. Certainly from, from other teams around the league, there are protocols, strict, stiff protocols put in place so that things like that don't happen and things like what happened to the Broncos don't happen. Now you see many more teams are having quarterbacks in quarantine. Like that's, that's a new position, quarterbacks in quarantine. And uh, yeah, you, you're totally right about that. Clearly, to have that amount of infections, I read before that there was a, they, have, they had apparently four different strains of it. Who knew, right? Three of the strains were contained, and one of the the fourth strain or whatever number it was, but that last strain was the one that was highly infectious. I, I don't know what that. I'm not a doctor. That doesn't tell me anything really, other than the fact that they didn't follow protocols, and they're set. They're putting forth for a reason, especially from the NFL, in order to keep the product on the field and to keep us happy. I don't know. 
and to keep the money in the players' pockets as well. Let's go to Eric in Ron Conkama. You're on the fan. Hey, Danielle, all fired up tonight. This is uh, interesting. Uh, you see you being very laid back here. I know. You know, That's I just a... don't like my intelligence being insulted or being by Kyrie Irving or being condescended on the phone. That's all. That's all I ask. It's not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I can certainly understand that. Look, I, I'm i not a basketball fan really by any means, so mm-hmm. I'll, be, I'll be honest with you. But, you know, I like to think I'm a fairly decent judge of people. And, you know, when I heard that the, you know, he came out with this method of, you know, putting out the message on there so that it wouldn't be construed incorrectly. Yeah. That basically tells you everything you need to know. He knew exactly the way putting it out that way, what it meant on there. Yes. I mean, you know, you got to understand, I mean, this, this guy, from what I, again, I mean, I know he burned a lot of bridges, you know, with where he was before. I mean, you have to know going to New York. I mean, yes, he may be a good talent, but the woe is me attitude is not going to work here. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if he, you know, <laughs> you start off on the, the wrong foot. I mean, he's already, you know, been out injured, correct? If, right. if I'm correct in yep. that. Yep. So, you know, you, you add this to the mix and the season hasn't even started yet. You know, I mean, already is two strikes on you, you know, and, you know, despite the fact that it's Brooklyn, it's still New York on there. It's going to be, you know, I don't think he knows what he's in for on there. He better hope he plays well, you know, uh, uh, just in general. Um, Listen, so I'll leave it. I'll leave yeah, it at that. He, I mean, if uh, the guy, if, yeah. Eric, if the guy talks basketball, I have no problem with that. I don't want to hear his take on any other uh, the other stupid stuff. Uh, apparently, he's a really brilliant basketball mind. Now, if he can stand up on the podium and convey that, I have no problem with the guy. That's it. Sure, sure. Um, as far as the you know the, the I wanted to ask you this because you know I, I thought it was interesting. You know, I had heard. Um, uh, oh boy, what was the the, the guy's name uh, that uh, just became GM over in Texas? Oh, young, uh, uh, young, Chris Young. Yeah, yeah, Chris, yeah. Now, I I wasn't upset when I heard he pulled his name out, you know, for the running for the Mets because, you know, like Steve Cohen said, I don't want people learning on my on my uh, yes. my dime mm-hmm. and everything. Although I found it interesting that he got the same position and executive VP over in Texas. I mean, does does he have any coaching experience at all? Uh, or managing experience at all prior to this? I have no idea, actually. Uh, Chris, yeah, you know, I mean, the, he was he was a player, of course. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I know he, I know he played Let's for see. the Mets, but uh, I just thought it was kind of strange that he got the same position, if not a little bit more, with another team. Right on there, and no, it you know, I'm, I'm like kind of leaning. Yeah, okay, I'm kind of leaning more towards your suggestion of uh, uh, was it AJ Hinch? Yeah. Uh, yes. You know, on there, because because I mean, I don't know what what seems to be holding up the ability to get a GM on there, but uh, um, you know, they they got to start really bearing down on somebody because I mean, uh, players are going to start moving soon, and uh, you know, uh, I know they got the meetings coming up or some kind of meeting. Yeah, the winter uh, this meetings. This month. Yep. This yeah. week. This so, upcoming week. Oh, yeah, this week coming up. Okay. So yeah, they they got to get something going on there because uh, if players start slipping through their fingers, I mean, I know Sandy can do pretty much, you know, make a deal if he had to, but uh, be, it'd be a little more comforting knowing that uh, they got, you know, another piece in the office uh, solidified. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, but, Eric, or, and thanks for the call, or come out and say that Sandy Alderson is your GM moving forward. I think, you know what I mean? And I, I don't know 
what effect even still that has on um, on prospective free agents as well, knowing that there isn't a single point person in charge. I, I don't know what kind of effect that would have. I'm not an agent and I'm not a player, certainly, um, but I will be playing for the Boomer softball team. <laughs> um, someone just asked me on Twitter. But, yeah, I, I think that's a fair point, um, especially after this week. I mean, I think this time next week we're going to be talking about all kinds. Like, remember how basketball, what was it, two weeks ago, had all these moves, tons of moves? I think this time next week we're going to be talking about all those tons of moves in baseball, I think. Because I think we're going to have a final answer on on the DH, uh, whether it's going to be in the NL or not. And I think that is going to be the first domino to fall in, in, in many of them, if that makes sense. Because the NL teams, again, have to allocate for that salary. Um, and as far as the Mets, yeah, either, you know, in Sandy Alderson, we said it before in, in his uh, introductory press conference, said he wants a seat at the table, but he doesn't want to be the head of the table. Well, right now, still, he's at the head of the table. So either he's going to stay there or they're going to hire somebody, and they don't really seem to be interviewing anybody. And Eric was asking about coaching experience, managing experience. So the only, oh, I shouldn't say only, but the other experience that um, that Chris Young had outside of being an MLB pitcher is he was moved to an administration position as the vice president of on-field operations, initiatives, and strategy under Joe Torrey. I don't know exactly what that means, but, I mean, it's an administrative position for sure. Um, he oversaw the on-field operations and umpiring departments. Now he's GM of the Rangers. I don't know. I don't know. But whoever it is, I agree. I just I do not think that they should be learning on the job with the New York Mets. Um, not at this point. Not with the amount of money that's involved with the team and not with the caliber of player. Like I, I always think of Jacob deGrom, and I think of how much older he's getting year by year, and I think the Mets have to make a move fast, you know? Um, and I've been teasing it all night. So the New York Giants at the Seattle Seahawks, 4.05 p.m. on Fox. Lumenfield, Seattle. So the Giants entered the game last I checked. Um, late Saturday was 10.5 point underdogs. That's according to FanDuel. The line for the Redskins-Steelers game is 7 points. See, I, I, if if the Redskins... Redskins, I keep saying Redskins. Oh, my God. I even wrote it down. The Washington football team... Sorry about that. The line for the Washington football team and the Steelers game is 7 points. But the line for the Giants and Seahawks is 10.5 it's the actually the Giant game is the biggest spread for all the NFC East games, and that kind of doesn't sound right to me. I know the Giants are working with a backup quarterback, but still, Colt McCoy's in, Daniel Jones is out. That is the main storyline. So Daniel Jones obviously coming off the best stretch of his career, sideline with a hamstring. It's so funny you can't be both not sold on Daniel Jones and saying the Giants are in trouble with McCoy. So what does that mean for the game plan moving forward? You got um, Jason Garrett saying there's a lot of plays in football. Let's run the ones that our quarterbacks like to run and that they're comfortable running. And you're always trying to do that regardless of who's playing. But you probably get a little bit more sensitive to that with a backup quarterback. This is Jason Garrett who hasn't had the backlog of reps. I think you're just trying to customize it. Sure. My suggestion, more play action. Colt McCoy plays well in the play action and the Seattle Seahawks defense I mean, they are one of they are the worst uh, secondary passing defense in, in the entire league. So the key to the Giants' victory, the key for the Giants' victory came 
in a quote from Joe Judge earlier in the week. He said, I'd say for Colt, he came in, cold off the sideline. He did some really nice things for us. He made some tough throws in tough situations, blah, blah, blah. Look, he's a vet. He's got a lot of experience. He goes out there with the amount of savvy, and he can really manage a game. Can really manage a game. That sounds like a run first, throw second sort of game plan to me, which is fine. Because if if the Giants, I mean, if they win the coin toss, they have to receive the ball. They have to keep the Seahawks offense off the field at all times, as much as possible. And they're going to have to do that by getting a a lead right in the beginning. And I know that might be tough, but they have to keep the clock moving in this game. Giants rushed for 142 yards last week. I mean, they are second in the NFC since week six in average yards per game. That's, That's significant. And I know the quarterback factors into that as well. You know, Daniel Jones, I mean. I mean, but they're running back by committee. It's been working. On all cylinders. Small problem, though. The Seahawks allow just 89 rushing yards per game. They have the third best rushing offense, uh, rushing defense in the league. And I had to look this up twice, too, just to be positive. Seattle held the Eagles last week, the Eagles running backs at least, to just 28 yards. Wentz was their top rusher with 42. That would scare me if I'm, if I'm a Giant fan. Because the key to a Seahawks victory is, is to make Colt McCoy throw the ball. And as funny, as counterintuitive as that sounds, that's what it is. So as long as they can keep Colt McCoy under siege, this game might be one-sided. I think Jamal Adams is going to have a career day, win or lose. The Seattle offense is potent, right? Don't get me wrong. Think about the Giants' defense. They've been playing real good. And James Bradbury has been real good. I have a prediction for you guys. Hang on. Right after the quick, short break. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan. Hey, what's going on? It's the Moose coming up Monday after Boomer and Geo at 10 a.m. Moose and Maggie right here on the fan reacting Giants, Seahawks, Jets, and Raiders, Maggie. Also, the changing landscape in Major League Baseball, how it will affect the Yankees and Mets. We tackle it all at 10 a.m. on Sports Radio 1019 FM and Radio.com. Show goes on all right. We are at 423 in the morning here. I'm Danielle McCartan with you on the fan. We were just about to get to my Giants prediction here. I've gotten, during the commercial break, I interacted with you guys on Twitter, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. If you don't have Twitter, like my parents, you have just Facebook. Well, my dad's on Twitter now. He doesn't really use it, though. If you just have Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Coach McCartan, M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. On that, we were just about to get to it, and then I'm going to get to your calls, 877-337-6666. A lot of you guys on, on social media have been telling me defense wins games. Defense wins championships, but defense wins games. And yeah, if the Giants are going to win this game, it's going to have to come down to their defense. Seattle offense is potent, right? But the one, the Giants have have not allowed more than 20 points in any of their last three games. The Seahawks are used to putting up 31 points a game, which is third best in the league, right? The Eagles held them to 23 points last week. In fact, they were scoreless through the entire first quarter. The game ended up being decided by six points, one possession. Eagles, Seahawks, I'm talking. The Battle of the Birds. 
Now, we can look at this and say, okay, how does the Giants defense stack up against the Eagles D? Well, guess what? The Giants defense is better than the Eagles defense. Pro football focus ranks at 10th in the NFL, and they're improving each and every week. Now, I had a question come from David on, on Twitter. What Basically, what are the Giants game plan? What is the Giants game plan with DK Metcalf? Well, it's probably going to be man coverage, and I, I, that's what I would do. I mean, James Bradbury is first in the NFL with an, the, the top single coverage grade, 15 forced incompletions. That's going to be a dogfight on the outside. I can't wait to watch it. Now, you might say, oh, well, DK Metcalf, he's pretty good, you know? Yeah, well, James Bradbury worked in Carolina against Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, Mike Evans. He's He's got it. He's all right with it. The problem, though, that there are other high-powered weapons that Russell Wilson, who is a weapon himself, can turn to, namely Tyler Lockett. DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett have the fifth and sixth most receptions, or receiving touchdowns in the league. Fifth and sixth most receiving touchdowns. Metcalf is fifth. Lockett is sixth. I mean, DK Metcalf leads the league in, re- in receiving yards. So my prediction, prediction time for the Giants. I think, well, I know that all of the Giants' victories this season have been against teams with losing records. I think this game is going to be close, much closer than the bookies in Vegas are making it out to be with that 10.5-point spread. I think is ridiculous. I think... I'm going to really go out on a limb here, and I'd say this game comes down to a possession where the Giants need to put a touchdown on the board, not a field goal to win. I think Colt McCoy tries to force a ball, resulting in a game-sealing interception. I know that's completely detailed. I got a final score, Seahawks 24, Giants 20. I don't know. I know the spread is 10. I don't even know what the over-under is. I didn't even look at it. But I think the Seahawks, 24, Giants, 20. Let's go back to your calls. 877-337-6666 in the order in which they're coming. Mike in West Palm Beach. Mike, how are you this week? Good morning, Danielle. How are you? Um, interesting uh, interesting show so far, Coach. I tuned, <laughs> I tuned in, you know, before I left uh, uh, my place, get a cup of coffee. I tuned in to Mr. Personality who called before. Oh, and, uh, you know, you had every right to say what you said after he called, going on and on and on. And don't don't insult my intelligence. And I thought of the movie, the line from Airplane. You know, surely you must be joking and don't call me Shirley. <laughs> but you know what? Yeah, rim, rim shot. But you know what? That guy uh, uh, listening, and I'm sure he is, whatever. Uh, listen, my man, get your own show on the Internet, okay? Because nobody wants to hear... What you had to say, it was like the twi- listening to the Twilight Zone. It really was. But anyway, oh, getting Nick, away from Nick, that. Nick, that's what we should do. We should play Twilight Zone music on those types of calls. <laughs> that's a great idea. Yeah, what Steve <laughs> Summers <laughs> used to do back in the Oh, he own. did that? Oh, I didn't know that. We might have to take a page out of the Summers book. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, what do you got for well, me tonight, know, Mike? Yeah, you know what you were saying, <clears throat> Danielle? You know, some of these, some of these athletes are, are real um, prima donnas. Kyrie Irving, you know, now he puts out, uh, you know, a statement that he's not going to deal with the press and this Uh and that. He doesn't need a coach. Hey, you know what, dude? (laughs) Play your game. Play your game. And and keep your comments to yourself because nobody wants to listen to it. No one wants to uh, listen to your, your babble. And um, getting back, I was going to talk. Mike, what I want to hear from him is, is basketball. 
I don't want to exactly. hear any other frivolous stuff. I want to hear basketball. Exactly. I have no problem and with like, that. No. And like you touched upon, hey, he's got game, obviously. Yeah. But talk about basketball uh, and not, you know, uh, not things that you are overly concerned with that you shouldn't be. And we don't want to hear it. Right. You know, that, that's, that's the bottom line. And I said before, Danielle, and you do, you still do. You know, you give everyone a fair shake, and you gave that guy more than enough of a handshake. And it was, I was laughing my butt off, uh, you know, when, when you uh, uh, said what you needed to say. And you, you know, you raised the, your volume on your voice, as should be, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know yeah, where that came not? from. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, long time, I can't talk about the Jets. Long time Mets fan, Jets fan. I don't think there's a word in the vocabulary to describe how dismal they are. Uh, probably one of the worst teams in history. No, definitely. Uh, going back, yeah. yeah, going back to the leather helmet days. <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, uh, it's great to see Danielle, um, you know, Cohen making moves, and it's great to see you know the, the topic of conversation with with Yankee fans, baseball fans, uh, Lemayo. They got to get him, and they got to get another uh, starting pitcher to complement uh, the number one guy. Um, you know, we love. We love uh, uh, baseball in New York. There's nothing like it. Yeah. And I'm glad that Cohen's involved. I've been saying for years, uh, the Wilpons couldn't leave quick enough. We had a, a middle-of-the-road organization. We were getting, you know, guys uh, north of 35 coming to the team. And it's been, um, you know, it, it's exciting. We hope, um, you know, we hope this, uh, as I call it, uh, China's germ warfare, you know, uh, diminishes and we can enjoy our sports again. And uh, what other? Oh, uh, I hope uh, <laughs> I heard you before too. And it's you know uh, we're still we're still paying uh, Bobby Benilla at Miserable. Oh. And uh, how about Cespedes? Maybe he'll get a nice uh, new boar for Christmas and a couple of thoroughbreds down there. And he's another one you who know? said he wasn't going to talk to the media, Mike. You remember that? Yeah, sure do. And uh, and then he pulls such a the expression goes, Coach. You know. Um, Played a lot of ball back in the day. Bush. Yeah, he Bush just, league. you know, yeah. he sneaks out of the hotel room, yeah. doesn't uh, leave a message for anyone. Vanishes. And <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's about as classless, that's as Bush as it gets. Yeah. Um, but you know what, Danielle? Like I always say, uh, some people go on and on and on. I get to my point, <clears throat> and uh, I'm going to um, let other people get through on deck. And you know what, Danielle? You know what I'm going to say? I always say it. Because it's a pleasure listening and speaking to you, and you got game in sports, and you got serious mojo behind the microphone. Makes me laugh, Mike. I might put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate the call. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs> All right, Danielle. Good week. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> he says it every week. I might put that on a T-shirt now, moving forward. Uh, all valid points, obviously. And I have no problem with Kyrie. Um, speaking to the media about basketball. He wouldn't have a problem if he spoke to the media about basketball either. <laughs> it's the other stuff that no one cares about, to be honest with you. And in those other fluffy cities that he played in, maybe it flew there. I don't know. It's not going to fly here. Bob, in Bayside, you're on the fan. You know, I agree with you about Seattle. As a, as a Giant fan, mm-hmm. naturally, I was rooting for Seattle last week. Yes. Do you know that I was worried in the first half? I know. It was 0-0. Zero, yeah. zero. I was worried. Well, for, the first quarter. Not only that, uh, the game was close, and finally, 
with uh, Wentz missing wide-open receivers and with pick sixes, yeah. Philadelphia imploded in the second half. Yep. Now, uh, this team is not the Legion of Boom, but I don't I don't expect them to win tomorrow, the Giants, although I, I agree with you about one thing. I don't think Col- uh, Cole McCoy is going to make any mistakes. Uh, let me, of course, he's experienced. Right. Let me say one thing. Six wins wins this division. I've got this. Yes. Do you agree with that? Yes, agreed. If the Giants lose tomorrow, they have to win one out of their next three games, Arizona, Browns, or Baltimore, and then beat Dallas in the final game. Mm -hmm. And that clinches the division for them. Washington, with their schedule, if you look at it, it's not going to win three out of their next five games. Um, And so if Washington wins six, the Giants win uh, 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 with the tiebreaker. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And Dallas also is eliminated. Philadelphia has a brutal schedule. Six win wins it. They've got to win one game, the Giants, between Arizona, the Browns, and Baltimore, and then beat Dallas in the final game. Yeah. Or, that or Seattle. You imagine if the Giants get lucky and strike gold tomorrow? You never know. I think it's going to be, I agree with you. I think it's going to be closer than what people think. Yeah. And I'll say one more thing. Yeah. If the Giants host uh, a wild card team, mm-hmm. it'll either be L.A. Rams. Arizona Cardinals or the Tampa Bay Bucks, and I'll make a statement to you: the Giants will be no more than a three and a half point underdog. I mean, and, all you have to do, see, and, and Bob, thanks for the call. I appreciate that. Right. All you have to do is get to the dance, right? As Giants fans know, and I talked about with David Deal. I mean, whatever year that was when they started with the wild card team in uh, in Tampa, they ended up winning the Super Bowl that year. The Giants, you know. So all you have to do is get to the dance. I agree with you. Uh, if the season ended right now, stop the count, right? If the season ended right now, the Giants would be playing or hosting the L.A. Rams. And the L.A. Rams are, I mean, I know we're getting, we're putting the cart before the horse, as the old man coach used to say, um, but not my old man, just an old man coach that I used to coach with. Um, we're putting the cart before the horse. I get that. I know that. But it's a, it's a little bit exciting, right? Because you're looking ahead to the playoffs. You're looking ahead to the, the matchups, and it's December 6th. And if you're a Giant fan, you have to be real pleased with how your team is, is in this mix still, how the defense is playing up. Yeah, okay, you got a backup quarterback. Fine, sure. I get it. But you've got a defense that's 10th best in in the league since week six. You got a kicker who I don't want to jinx it or anything, but Graham Gano is automatic. Automatic. I think this game is going to be won on either special teams or defense for the Giants. Long as Colt McCoy can manage the game, one of them has got to come up big. And coming up right after this break, I'm very excited, is my first ever battle of the beat reporters calling it beatboxing. Steve Cofield, from the Las Vegas Sports Network, representing the Raiders, and Joe Caparoso, representing the Jets, and he's from Turn On the Jets. I cannot wait. All right, after the break. New York's fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM, the fan, WFAN, New York. Welcome to Beatboxing, where beat reporters from each team square off inside your listening device. Let's meet this week's contenders. Viva Las Vegas! Rep, 
representing the visiting Las Vegas Raiders is Steve Cofield, afternoon drive host in the Las Vegas Sports Radio Network. And for your hometown New York Jets, we've got Joe Caparoso, owner of Turn On The Jets and its Badlands podcast. Okay, gentlemen, I want a good, clean fight. Round one, in terms of scoring. Let's start with the obvious. Both teams are coming off losses in which they did not score a touchdown. So, guys, Joe and Steve, Steve, you'll go first. Which team will score first in Week 13? Raiders will uh, score first. Now, their success in the first quarter with touchdowns hasn't been that great. They've actually only scored a first-quarter touchdown in five of uh, 11 games, but they are going to be angry coming into this one after the embarrassment last week. With the Falcons, they're going to be max motivated. Now, if you could bet it, if you could bet who's going to have the uh, first touchdown in this matchup, and I think you can. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the value is on the Jets because uh, you'll probably get a juicy plus number. But, yeah, I'll go with the Raiders score the first uh, touchdown in the first quarter between the, the two teams. Joe? I also have to go with the Raiders scoring the first touchdown or any of the first points. In the last 12 games that Sam Darnold has been the starting quarterback for Adam Gase, the Jets have 11 total touchdowns. So wagering on the Jets to ever score a touchdown at any point of any game with Adam Gase as their head coach is not a wise move. Uh, <laughs> the Jets have, I think, like 75% of their offensive touchdowns this year when Joe Flacco was a starting quarterback, as sad as that is. So... It's hard to bet for the Jets to score a touchdown at any point in this game, never mind uh, be the team who scores first, even though arguably the best game that they ever played during the Adam Gase era, if you want to call it that, was against the Raiders last year at MetLife Stadium. But the Raiders will likely have some type of revenge on their mind and hopefully laid their egg uh, in advance already to the Falcons last week. Round two, play calling. We've got... John Gruden going for it on fourth and one at his own 45-yard line in the team's first possession last week. Fine, right? Except he called a halfback pitch to Josh Jacobs and didn't even make it back to the line of scrimmage. Genius, right? Not to be outdone by Adam Gase, Adam Guru, wily Adam Gase, who doesn't want to give competitors an advantage by telling them who's calling the plays week to week. That's head-scratching, right? So who would you choose as your primary signal caller and why? Joe. There's not a person employed in the entire NFL who I would put Adam Gase above in terms of my preference of calling plays. And whether it's him calling plays, Dowell Loggins calling plays, uh, Adam Gase telling Dowell Loggins to call the plays and then relaying it and then getting everyone in the local media confused about who is actually calling the plays, Adam Gase is dead last, from my perspective, on any person in the entire NFL that you'd want calling plays for you. I believe, I mean, the Jets are 32nd in overall offense this year. They were 32nd in overall offense last year. Every single offense Adam Gase has led that has not had Peyton Manning associated with it has been among the worst or the worst in the NFL. So it can be the quality control assistant on the Jaguars. I'd rather have that person calling the plays than Adam Gase. Joe, it's uh, John Gruden by default, it sounds. Yes. Steve? The floor is yours. Yeah, it's definitely John Gruden. Uh, this is a top eight rushing team, so they've been productive in the run game. They have a lot of variations in how they do it. From a touchdown standpoint, they've been pretty creative. I know you didn't like the creativity of the fourth and one play, but they've had four different running backs 
score a touchdown. They've got at least one developed, you know, good deep weapon in Aguilar. Ruggs is coming along. They got a really good underneath weapon in Darren Waller. Uh, and they've had seven different uh, pass catchers score a touchdown. And, that, you know, the funny thing on your, uh, you know, your point about bad play call on fourth down, the, the biggest complaint from a lot of Raiders fans is that Gruden doesn't go for it enough on fourth down. But I get your point that the execution on that one uh, was weak. But, yeah, it's Gruden. It's not even close. And John Gruden's getting a little long in the tooth. But I've actually seen him adjust over the last year and a half in terms of his play calling and not be as predictable as he was in his first year. So Gruden all the way over Gase. Oh, we seem to be in, in lockstep so far. All right. Moving into the quarterbacks. Round three. Last week, Derek Carr, three sacks, three fumbles, and one touchdown to the other team. Last week, Sam Darnold, three sacks, two interceptions, zero touchdowns. So which quarterback do you have more trust in to win this game? We'll start with the visiting Las Vegas Raiders and Steve Cofield. Yeah, it has to be Derek Carr. It has to be Derek Carr. I'm actually starting to think that Sam Darnold's upside might be Derek Carr, but he's not there yet. Better question here, not to change the angle on this, is which offensive line do you trust to help its quarterback? Because that's the problem with the Raiders right now. They're starting to wear down. They are beat up all over the offensive line, and it really showed last week. They got to protect Eric Carley. If they don't protect Eric Carr, I'm not saying he's going to lose three fumbles again, but he is loose with the ball. And the guy's lost a league-high 30 fumbles since 2014. He lost three last week, uh, 17 sacks this year. He's lost... A fumble on eight of them, like 47% of the time, and the league average is 11%. So, yeah, I, I trust Carr more, but there's some other factors. If the offensive line plays as poorly as it did last week, then Carr's in trouble. Let's go to the Jets and Joe. I'm a little worried about this one as a Jets fan would prefer to see them lose. I do think Carr is a better quarterback than Darnold, but Carr has struggled playing outside in cold weather. Uh, most recently burned into all of our memories was how poorly he played last December at MetLife and how well Sam Darnold played last December at MetLife. Now, Darnold has unquestionably regressed this year. Uh, I'm unsure what his ceiling even is at this point because he's probably been, along with Carson Wentz, the worst starting quarterback in the NFL. I also don't think he's 100% healthy. I think his shoulder is still pretty banged up. The Jets are likely to be down two starting offensive linemen as well. So I actually think this will be a pretty ugly game all around from the quarterbacks and will be one that is more so won by the defense and the running games of the respective teams. I think this will be a tight one. I think Carr will probably do a better job ultimately of protecting the football uh, while maybe Darnold is able to improvise and create more big plays, but when you're actually comparing the stat lines, I think it will be tight, but I think Carr will outplay Darnold despite the cold weather that we're expecting on Sunday. I have a challenge. So, Joe, you mentioned that the uh, the shoulder on Darnold is still dinged up. Why is he playing? Like, you, you know, you mentioned that you're a Jets fan and you want the Jets to lose. Is, is that part of it? Do they actually look at it like, hey, Sam Darnold is actually worse than Joe Flacco? It's a very good question. I think if you look at the top, I don't think it makes sense, honestly, for either side for Darnold to be playing if he's less than 100% because it could hurt Darnold's trade value. It hurts Darnold in his next role when he's competing for a starting job somewhere else. Uh, I'm not trying to look for logic in a logical place in the Jets organization right now. The, I mean, the top line numbers would say 
that Flacco gives them a better chance to win, which is so depressing to say. But I'm assuming their internal logic is still that Sam's their starting quarterback. He's healthy enough to play. They're going to give him a couple more starts. And, you know, he just got his first one back against Miami. It was really ugly. I could see this game, if it goes similar to the Miami game, being his last start of the season. Uh, It's a good question, though, because he does not appear to be 100%. And I don't understand from either side's perspective why he's out there for an 0-11 team. This is so typical Jets because all they need to do is protect Darnold's value and make sure they can get, you know, maybe maybe a second or a third back for him and they could actually destroy their own value and screw over their own wishes to have him move to someone else and get something back. I don't get it. No logic in an illogical place. That's the New York Jets tagline right now. I love that. I love that line. Now, while we're on quarterbacks and you're listening to the inaugural beatboxing on McCartan After Midnight here on The Fan. Carr pounding the turf last week again, and Darnold last season admitting to seeing ghosts, which is a stronger indictment of the larger picture for each of the respective franchises. Joe Caparoso from Turn on the Jets, you're up first in round four. I think it has to be Darnold. Darnold's ghost comment is unquestionably and annoyingly turned into a much bigger meme. I think even... uh, Bill's head coach, Sean McDermott, made a little bit of a joke about it last week. And it's usually the first thing, along with mono, unfortunately, that pops into people's minds. An unfair thing that it got caught on the hot mic. And it's probably a comment a lot of young quarterbacks make. But it is definitely stuck. And Darnold has definitely struggled with his pocket presence and decision-making in the pocket. So I don't think he's going to shake that anytime soon until he puts together a really strong overall season. And I just think to the casual NFL fan, Darnold being associated with ghosts is more common than Carr, or, you know, pounding the turf or, or whatever he has going on out there. From the Las Vegas Sports Network, Steve Cofield. Yeah, I think it's a bigger indictment for Carr because the Raiders are still in this weird zone. Carr keeps inching up the mountain to the point where you're like, he's a top 12 guy. He's absolutely going to get an extension down the road with the Raiders, but then he has games like this. He makes weird comments after the game. Like, yeah, I felt like practice was kind of flat all week. His teammates are like, what? We, we thought we prepped well. It wasn't flat. The Raiders are in a situation where maybe John Gruden is completely bought in on Derek Carr, but games like that hurt Carr's cause. They've got him signed for two more years, but he may not be the quarterback of the future. And unlike the Jets, and this is going to sound weird, the Raiders don't have that next guy in the organization. The Jets have the guy in the organization and Darnold, and they're even in a better position if they lock up the number one pick and they can get Trevor Lawrence. So I think the bigger indictment on the quarterback situation and the respective franchise is actually on the car and Raider side. Didn't think you were going to go there. I mean, look, I, I still think it's Darnold. I don't with Carr, even though he's flashed a couple positive moments this year, I, I don't know. I have a hard time thinking that, if the Raiders don't make a serious run in the playoffs this year, that they're not going to start aggressively potentially looking for other options. So I, I could see that argument and how it could go the other way. But I mean, they're definitely two guys who are at very different stages at being looked at as prospective starting quarterbacks, at least in the NFL right now. Probably my favorite round is going to be round five, the level of worry. As it stands right now, the Las Vegas Raiders, after a pretty good six and three start, they are finding themselves on the playoff bubble And as it stands right now, as we just alluded to, the Jets own the number one overall pick in this upcoming draft with Trevor Lawrence in their crosshairs. The Raiders are favored in this game, 
which fan base should be more worried about the outcome of this game? We'll go to Las Vegas and Steve Cofield. This is so easy as far as the fan bases. The Jets fan base should be more worried in this game, but it's about winning. If you win, then you inch towards losing control of getting Trevor Lawrence. You want to get the next guy who I think is guaranteed in Trevor Lawrence. And I like some of the other quarterbacks like Justin Fields in this draft, but Lawrence is the guy. You got to realize the Raiders going into the season were an underdog to make the playoffs. They had a win total of seven and a half. So they're actually slightly ahead of preseason expectations right now. And, you know, I, I put everything into gambling terms because I'm here in Vegas. But right now, the Raiders are uh, plus 120 dogs to make the playoffs. I mean, they do control their own destiny because they get to face teams who are in front of them, like the Dolphins and the Colts. But, like, Raiders fans want to make the playoffs, but I don't think they would be heartbroken if they don't. So the fan base that should be more worried are the Jets because, frankly, if the Jets don't get a franchise quarterback out of this thing, I mean, what are you facing? Another five or six years without the guy? How long is this going to go on? Heading back to New York and Joe Caparoso's perspective. It's definitely Jet fans who are in a full-blown panic about this game. There's only five games left to complete the perfect 0-16 season that Adam Gase deserves to have hung around his neck forever and that the fans deserve to get Trevor Lawrence, who's a generational quarterback prospect, probably the best prospect to come out since Andrew Luck, and he may even be better than him. Of the Jets' five remaining games... I think this is the one that they, quote unquote, have the best chance to win. They're certainly not going to beat the Rams or the Seahawks on the road. Have a tough time seeing them win in New England. They do get Cleveland at home, but I would say Cleveland's a tougher matchup for them than the Raiders. So this is a game that fans are very panicked about because, again, it's still fresh in everyone's mind what happened when the Jets and the Raiders played last year. So this one's been circled for a while by Jet fans as one that could potentially ruin the tank. And I think there'll be a lot of nervous fans tuning in Sunday if it ends up being a close game into the second half. But let's hope the Raiders do what the Dolphins ultimately did, which is, you know, jump up to a, you know, a two-possession lead and basically hold the Jets off without panicking any of us too much. But Jet fans will be very on edge this Sunday. This is a everything's a franchise altering wins as like a good thing, like a Super Bowl or something like that. This is a franchise altering win for the New York Jets on Sunday if in fact they do pull this one off, which leads me to round six. And by the way, we are at operating at a draw as right now. So round six is the most important outcome here. And according to my scorecard, the game outcome. The Raiders are seven and a half point favorites, which implies that they'll actually score a touchdown this week. Who wins this game? And how does the game play out based on what you know about each team? And we'll start with Joe for this round. Definitely like the Raiders to win in a pretty similar script to how a lot of Jet games have gone this year with Donald and Gase. Maybe they look okay on the opening drive. Everyone gets a little irrationally excited by that. And then the Raiders figure everything out. The Jets offense does nothing for the rest of the game except maybe kick a few field goals. And the Jets defense allows the game to stay relatively close into the third quarter, but then ultimately the Raiders make a play that gives them a big enough cushion where no one's really sweating it out in the fourth quarter. So I think something like 20 to six feels about right. I would bet on the Jets to score zero or one touchdown and maybe kick a couple field goals. I think the Raiders will find the way their way into the end zone at least twice and maybe kick a few field goals. So something, you know, lower scoring, but with the Raiders winning and covering is where I would go. And Steve? I am totally against you. I think the Jets actually will score some points because the Raiders' defense is not good. The back end of the defense at both corners is beat up. I think it could be a shootout, 
But as we've mentioned, Gase and the play calling is a freaking nightmare. So I'm going to go Raiders get out to a quick start, but can't close the game out completely until the fourth quarter. Raiders 31-20. Now, the scary part is if the Raiders actually generate a pass rush and somehow knock out Darnold from the game and Flacco comes in, then I think we actually could see a shootout. So that's why it makes me nervous actually laying the points with the Raiders. But I'll say both quarterbacks stay in. You know, Gase calls the game like he generally calls. Jets will score some points, but the Raiders will outpace them. Raiders are averaging about 27 points a game, so 31-20. All right, and it's time for the big reveal. Round one, I had going to Joe. Round two for the offensive ranking stat, with 30, ranked 32nd. I also had going to Joe in the New York Jets. Round three went to Steve and the Raiders for the offensive line uh, point of view, which I thought was a good thing to bring into that argument and the challenge. Round four, I also had going to Steve because of the the mountain uh, analogy I liked. Round five, I thought was a draw between the both of you guys, so we were tied up through five. I had it, I had it leaning towards Joe in that, in that sixth round, but then when you came out with the scary part and Flacco, Steve, I had to go your way. So, with a score of winning three rounds to two, one draw, I've had Steve Cofield, the Las Vegas Sports Network, and the Las Vegas Raiders taking the very first inaugural beatboxing here on the Fix. I've made my decision. Now it's your turn. Head to Coach McCartan on Twitter, that's M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, to cast your vote to give out the listener's choice beatboxing belt. And right now we have Joe Caparoso in the lead at this very moment in time. I'd like your feedback on the segment too. If you guys like it, uh, I'll continue to do it. If it was a dud, eh, that's okay too. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take it off the menu for next week moving forward. But I hope you liked it. I had fun doing it. And it, I hope it gained uh, a more of a perspective from you know the Vegas point of view for those of us who don't watch every single Raiders game. You know what I mean? And so... Will the Jets pull this off? Do you want the Jets to pull this off if you're a Jet fan? Um, I don't know if this is such a secretive prediction, but I'll have it for you right after the break. Welcome in, everybody, at the top of the hour, 5.03, right after Seth Cantor's update there. Uh, this is the final hour here of McCartan after midnight, which has now finally transitioned to McCartan technically in the morning now, right? Some of you guys are waking up, just getting out of bed. Maybe you're on a, your morning run, possibly. A lot of you guys send me, or Steve, his name is Steve. He sends me pictures of his morning run all the time. Steve, I know you're listening, so uh, enjoy the run. And, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes the weirdest stuff trends here in the mornings. And by the way, speaking of Twitter, before I get into this, Go ahead and cast your vote for the inaugural winner of the the listener's choice of beatboxing. So was it Steve from Vegas or was it Joe from Jersey? And he is from New Jersey, I did ask. So uh, get your vote in. And uh, I told Steve, I don't know if I want to sway you either way, but I did tell Steve that since I, I put my scorecard up there too, since I selected him as my winner, and if the the viewers also, if, if it was unanimous between me and my listeners, I would send him a gift card. So I don't know if that sways you either way. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Not a big gift card. I don't know. Maybe like a Starbucks or something. Ten bucks. I don't know. But anyway, so there's a little incentive if you are a contestant on this. But anyway, sometimes the weirdest stuff kind of trends uh, on Twitter on the overnights. I mean, the weird. sometimes it's really weird. Tonight, it's kind of normal. You got 
the Crimson Tide at the Tigers trending. You've got Guy Fieri trending. Apparently, he donated a ton of money to uh, restaurant workers that were out of work. So good for him. And some other things. But what I'm trying to get at is one of the top trending topics on Twitter right now at 5.05 in the morning on Sunday morning is hashtag Bauer to Anaheim. Now, Trevor Bauer, as you know, is highly engaging with the fans on Twitter, fans of all teams on Twitter, fans of baseball, which I think is great for the game. You could disagree, but I think um, it is absolutely great. I mean, I I guess because I am the same way on Twitter. I like to engage with people on Twitter. You guys end up calling me on the phone, and it makes for great radio. Correct? Right? So the Mets made a move on a different Trevor, Trevor May. And so I thought it was a great move. I thought the Mets' probably number one need, maybe 1A and catcher would be like 1B, but the Mets' number one need this offseason was to address that bullpen, and they did with Trevor May, and I think he's a great signing. He's, I mean, he, he added, see, his evolution started when he added in a slider. So in adding that slider, he has upped his whiff rate, I mean, strikeouts per nine. I mean, it's his K rate, his strikeout rate was seventh best. His whiff rate was eighth best. So, yeah, he totally revamped his approach to pitching from the meditation mindset to the visualization. You've heard about it. You've heard of other athletes doing it, setting a plan of attack based in analytics, and such a great greater reliance on that slider, which he was reluctant to throw. It's been monumental for him. So Trevor May is a Met, and when I introduced this before, uh, he goes by the name. He, he He's a producer. He creates EDM beats. He goes by the name. I found it. I found it for you guys. DJ Mazer, M-A-Z-R. DJ Mazer is what he goes under, and, and I played for you guys a song that he did. It's all right. It's a little too trancy for me, but, you know, it's all right. And while the first domino might have fallen in Queens, Yankee fans are kind of scratching their heads as to what's going on with their number one target, DJ LeMahieu. Teams around the league want to take him to the dance. Is that fifth year a real deal breaker for you if you're a Yankee fan? For me, it would not be a deal breaker. I'll tell you why. Okay, as you age, and we saw it with Derek Jeter, his range started to go. Okay, that's just a fact, right? His range, left to right, lateral movement, up the middle especially. Um started to go, started to decline. And DJ LeMahieu, also a middle infielder, primarily a second baseman, there's concern there too. But the difference between a guy like Derek Jeter and DJ LeMahieu is that LeMahieu could be switched to other positions on the diamond that don't require so much range, namely first base or third base. So in that, there is value. So, yeah, sure. If you give he's 32 right now. He's my age right now. 32. Give him a 5-year, 100 million dollar contract. Makes it I think by season's end he would be 38 at that point. I think he's got a summer birthday, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but 37 38, okay. I think you do it. I don't know what the Yankees are waiting for. I mean, Sweeney Murdy kind of said, you know, it's about the money, it's about possibly the 5th year. It's Okay, sure. I don't know. I don't know what the holdup is. I would do it. I mean, right? 
Let's go back to the calls. 877-337-6666. Andy in Miami, you're on the fan. Coach, your 5 a.m. monologue set me up perfectly. Can I just comment on your uh, beatbox segment? Yeah, sure. Did you like it? Uh, I, I loved it. Cool. I loved it. And for me, the reason I think Joe won it is for two reasons. Number one, you played Badlands, which <laughs> reminds me of the pre-pandemic year. It was always the first song that Bruce would play when he came out. Well, Andy, and it's he, nice he, to remember. I let them pick. He, he wanted that. That was his choice. There you go. And, you know, I mean, listening to Bad Lads, it always, you know, I just always would remember Clarence on the saxophone Mm -hmm. to start off every Bruce concert. It reminds me of a pre-pandemic time and a better time. It was great to hear it at uh, 4 a.m. in the morning. We'll get there again one day. One day. Number two, he had the drop comment, which I don't know if you picked up on, when he literally said about Adam Guru, as you like to call him. Yeah. That he would have the Jacksonville quality control coach call plays ahead of gaze. Yeah. I thought that was the line of the entire beatbox segment. <laughs> so I thought it was great. So that's why you voted Joe. Okay, I got it. That was the, that was a drop the mic moment. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, and your Yankee point. Uh, yeah. So I have a Yankee and a Met point. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I was just listening to you, and I look. I have watched every Yankee game especially every Yankee playoff game, which always seems to end in agonizing fashion. It hasn't been the pitching. It hasn't been the relief. It's been the hitting. Mm-hmm. We've been knocked out of the playoffs the last two years because of the hitting and because of the so-called reliance on the judge or Stanton three-run homer. That's exactly the opposite of what D.J. LeMay is. Correct. He batted 364. Yep. He should have been MVP. He's been literally their best player for the last two years. I don't understand this. This is so reminiscent to me, the delay in signing him. And I'll need your help, Coach, because you have a younger mind than I do. Oh, no. But do, do, do you remember the Nationals pitcher who ended up signing with the Nationals that Cashman had been flirting with for years and trying to sign? And then he immediately won the World Series with the Nationals. And he was the pitcher that the Yankees were going to sign, but they didn't want to go an extra year, just like they don't want to go an extra year with Lemayo. Well, that Nationals pitcher didn't sign with the Yankees, signed with the Nationals, and he was their second starter, and they won the World Series. Oh, was it, Patrick, you know was it Patrick Corbin? Yes. Yes. It was. Yes. So uh, Patrick Corbin was like, after Garrett Cole, Patrick Corbin was the pitcher that Cashman had been trying to sign for years. Mm. And the Yankees went heavily after Patrick Corbin, and they wouldn't go an extra year, and the Nationals did. And, and guess what? He wins game the seven. Nationals won the <laughs> The Nationals won the World Series, right. Yeah. Patrick Corbin in Game 7. I mean, you know, great. So the Yankees didn't want to go one more year. They didn't. They saved the money. And Patrick Corbin won the World Series for another team. I mean, are you really going to tell me that their best hitter, who batted 364, who loves playing in New York, who you never hear anything. I mean, compare him. You know, I I heard uh, one of your favorite callers talk about Cispedes and, you know, getting a board. Just think about what Cispedes was like. When he came to New York, and compare that to DJ LeMayu. DJ LeMayu is like Jacob DeGrom. You just watch him play, leave him alone. You don't even know what his voice sounds like. I don't know what <laughs> DJ LeMayu sounds like. I don't know what Jacob DeGrom sounds like. Yeah. Okay? Or Patrick Marcus Mahomes. Loves Patrick talk. Mahomes' voice surprised me the first time I ever heard it. I know what you mean. You mean the Cookie Monster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Cookie Monster. Yeah. But I don't know what Jacob DeGrom sounds like. He yeah. could sound like the Cookie Monster. He could sound like Paul Robeson. He could sound like James Earl Jones. I don't know. And you know what? I don't care. I don't know anything about Jacob DeGrom's personal life. I don't know what clubs he goes to. I don't know who he's married to. 
I know what he does. You know what I know? He's the best pitcher in baseball. Do That's I all- know about DJ LeMayu? I don't know. I don't know where he goes. I don't know what clubs he goes. I've never seen him in page six. I don't care. He's the best player on the Yankees. What are we doing here? I don't know. What are we doing here? I know. I'm with you. I know. Uh, the, the exasperation. I, I, I get it. Andy, that was a great call, Andy. Uh, I get the exasperation on the, fa- on the, the Yankees fans' point of view, a perspective. I get it. Because I feel that the longer that the Yankees drag this out, the more teams, you know, get into the mix. And maybe they all, maybe another team. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's the Reds. Maybe it's the Mets. Even. Let's just stop right there. Maybe it's the Mets that with Steve Cohen, who's not affected by this pandemic and revenues and all that, maybe it's him that comes in and says, you know what, DJ LeMahieu, you want to stay in New York? Okay, why don't you come play in Queens? I'll give you five years, $100 million, done, deal. If you're DJ LeMahieu, you've got everything you wanted. And in my personal opinion, and I know this is going to irk some Yankees fans, I know it is. Um, I just, I, I think the Mets are a little closer to winning the World Series than the Yankees are. Because of what Andy just brought up, the fact that the Yankees are too overly reliant on this this home, this long ball or, or and the strikeout as a result, right? So DJ LeMayhew for the Yankees represents a philosophical shift from that mentality to more of a Met mentality, let's be honest, with a guy like Brandon Nimmo, a guy like Michael Conforto, a guy like Jeff McNeil, case in point, where they hit for average, spray the ball around the field, and get on base. DJ LeMahieu is not just a, a two-time back-to-back silver slugger winner. He's not just a gold glove winning second base. He's not, you know, he's not just any of these things. He represents so much more to the Yankees. And if the Yankees, you know, if the grass, what's it say? If the grass grows under their feet too long, uh, I think I got that right. You know what I'm trying to say? If I didn't, if that grass grows under their feet too long, he's out of here. And that would be catastrophic for the New York Yankees to lose a DJ LeMahieu. Catastrophic. Lenny in Fort Lauderdale, you're on the fan. What do you say? How are you tonight? I'm good. How are you? I've been here, I've been falling asleep here and there, but I heard at the beginning of your show and you, you, every every take you have tonight is very strong. I'm Appreciate loving it. it. And I, I'm loving your your mixed metaphors. How you can't remember uh, the, the grass under the feet? Uh, <laughs> Did I get it? I don't know if I got it. And the blood from a stone. And the blood from a stone. <laughs> yeah. You almost got it, right? It's almost. very funny. I got very the cart cute. before the horse, though. I know I got yeah, that one right. I got to that one. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to the horse before the cart, whatever. Yeah. But anyway, um, what was I going to say? I'm glad you have, I missed that. I don't know if you did your boxing takes yet. But um, I'm looking forward to hearing that. I sent you a link tonight. Uh... Your predecessor put an article in the, in the Daily News today. Uh, Tony Page has an article on the Hector Camacho um, documentary coming up. I know. I saw. I, I don't have showtime. Oh, I, I haven't seen it yet, but um, I'm looking forward to watching it. I don't know if you're too young to have seen Camacho. Yeah, I didn't but really. The guy was uh, a real character, a good boxer. and uh, I miss those days of boxing with Sugar Ray Leonard. Uh, I was lucky enough to see Leonard Hearns, Hagler, I've seen Ali, I've seen them all. And, uh, oh, what about Gotti Ward? How about that epic? Oh yeah, those were great. Those were great. 
But I, I enjoy boxing takes. Uh, this guy Spence had a good match tonight. And um, I look forward to your takes on that. And in regards to, I, I missed the, 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 this thing with the, with the two callers. Uh, I don't know what happened there. Uh, so I can't make my vote. But I did hear that third caller tonight, the second caller tonight. You had a lot of patience with that guy. Oh, oh the, the Kyrie guy? Oh, oh ridiculous. <laughs> I love to take on Kyrie. Yeah. I, I wish all these guys, like when Bonds wouldn't want to talk to the press or whatever, what I would love to see is when they, when they have their press conference, everybody there, and instead of take, asking questions so they could be rude, everybody just get up and walk out. <laughs> or just sit there in silence. Yeah, How, how's that? That's awkward. It would be great because <laughs> I'm so tired of these guys. They're yeah. so self-important. And just play the game, you know, and that's enough already. And, and talk about the game. I don't care right. about anything else. Like like the other guy was just saying on the phone, he doesn't know what Jacob DeGrom does. He doesn't that know what was, I, I, that's That's a case in point exactly perfect. That's how it should be, exactly. Unless you're going to be friendly, okay, go ahead. Not shut your mouth, who cares? <laughs> who cares? And um, I wanted something else I can't remember, so I'm just going to keep on listening. I really, really, really enjoy your show. I can't wait till you get some more segments on the air. Maybe get on with uh, Carton. Seems to be putting everybody and anything on. So maybe get a little sneak on there. <laughs> Carton and McCarton. Uh, <laughs> that'd be great to listen to that. And, um, and it's a perfect match for him. You know, he's, he's all over the airways. I'm not. A, I miss Joe and Evan. I miss the the actual sports talk. It's a little too much for me. Yeah. The other show, but uh, neither here nor there. But I really enjoy your show, and I'm gonna. Have you had your boxing segment yet? No, I, I. You know what? To be honest, Lenny, I before my show starts, I, I always try to at least close my eyes a little bit. It never usually works out. Um, so in that sense, I, I actually didn't see the, the fight tonight because uh, because okay. of that. But I'll hey, catch I'll your, catch some replays your, on your um, segment. They don't do a podcast for that, do they? Which one? I, well, like when you're on tonight. Oh yeah, Maybe. it's it. Well, it's available on the radio.com for the next 24 hours on the app. So you can go right, right back to 24 2 hours, but you can't go back a little later. Yeah, no. They usually put um and and Nick cut up the interview with Sweeney Murdy, so that's uh, going to be up pretty much as soon as we walk out the door too. If okay, you want to go back good. to that, I'll be listening. All right, appreciate it. All right, me. keep it up. Love the show and uh, love it. All right, talk to I you. Really soon. Get him out of town. <laughs> get him out. All right, bye bye. Bye, Lenny. Uh, all right, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, listen. Kyrie Irving, he's a talented player. Okay, there, there's no, there's no taking away from that that the guy is is a very talented player. Okay, that's the first thing. I I always say you never give up on talent, but you are not going to go on a podcast, say what you said, and then tell me the New York media that I misheard or didn't hear it right. So you're not going to talk to the media. That just doesn't fly here in New York. Sorry. Don't insult my intelligence. I know what I read. I know what I heard. Warrior calls after the break. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan on the fan in New York City. for the end zone. Touchdown, Giants. Can the Giants make it four in a row? We'll find out today when they stay on the road to take on Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. Hi, this is Bob Papa. Join me along with Carl Banks and Howard Cross for all the action with kickoff at 4.05 and Giants game day at 1.50 here on your flagship station for Big Blue. The Fan, Sports Radio 101.9 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN-FM, New York.
You can make it here. You can make it anywhere. <laughs> I love that line in this song here, guys. Welcome back to McCartan After Midnight or McCartan in the Morning. Sorry. Here on WFAN Radio here in New York City. It is 525 exactly on the clock. You guys get aboard 877-337-6666. And you have about or exactly precisely seven minutes left to get your vote in to crown the listener's choice belt for my inaugural beatboxing competition. Joe Caparoso from the Jets, he he took a um, an early lead. I, I just checked over the break just now. Steve Cofield has has taken the lead with seven minutes left for the Raiders. So um, get last chance. You got seven minutes left. By the end of this segment here, we'll, uh, we'll we'll crown a winner, a listener's choice winner. So go ahead and vote at Coach M C C A R T A N. Now the Giants are playing meaningful football. It's December 6th. I think if you're a Giant fan, you're just real happy about that. Despite the record, the Giants are atop the NFC East. And just a, a Daniel Jones timeline here and just an observation that I made. You know, after Sunday's game in Cincinnati, and there's a point to this at the end, Joe Judge said he was, and the word was optimistic, that Jones would play versus Seattle. That was right after the game. Monday, Joe Judge said, there's actually more question marks than answers right now. I know Daniel is going to do everything he can to get on the field, but sometimes as coaches, you've got to make a decision to maybe protect the player from himself. Then on Wednesday, the Giants were making some roster moves, finagling some positions around, bringing in some other guys possibly on Wednesday. Friday evening, the news came out that Daniel Jones was listed as doubtful for Week 13. Now, Earlier in the week, they listed it as a hamstring strain. So what I I, I got to tell you that hamstrings are, are kind of tricky. I'm not like a doctor or anything, but I once was playing high school basketball, you know, in a game and everything, and and I pulled mine. I didn't strain it. I pulled it. I mean, I couldn't even walk up and down steps. Like, that's how much it hurt. It was that painful. So this really is just one of those injuries where it's kind of just your pain tolerance, right? So the timeline of this, though, it tells me one of two things. Either one, the day-by-day downgrade means that the injury is worse than anyone thought. Or two, the Giants are holding him back a week so that they can have him for a playoff push. I, I probably think it's number two because he did go back in the game. I mean, if he went out and stayed out, then I would say, okay, you know, it's real serious. But he came out and then went back in for, what, one or two plays? That makes me think that the Giants are just going to rest him up for just one week and then really make the push. Because the last thing you want to do is throw him out there versus Seattle, first play of the game, he re-aggravates it, and then he's out longer term. That's my thinking. That's what I would do if I were the coach. Again, but, uh, you know, I'm not. Let's go to Dominic in Brooklyn. 877-337-6666 is the number. Dominic, you're on the fan. Thank you very much for taking my call. Of course. Thanks for picking up the phone. What do you got for me tonight? I, I, I'm a diehard Giant fan. I just I disagree. I think uh, the injury is a little bit more than it's going to be because I'm a pessimistic Giant fan. And <laughs> what without Daniel Jones, I don't think we're going to go far at all. Um, McCoy's good, but McCoy, I don't even remember his name. Colt McCoy. It's been yeah, it's it's been like so before we had to have a backup quarterback start for us because Eli was so reliable. But oh, I know, right? 
Dominic, let me give you a little hope here. Maybe this helps, maybe it doesn't. But I, I really took an in-depth look at Colt McCoy versus Daniel Jones. Let me tell you this. Colt McCoy has, I, I averaged them. Like, he has less interceptions a game, less fumbles a game than Daniel Jones. Also less touchdowns a game. But their completion percentage is about the same. Their their yards per attempt is is exactly the same. The only thing that you're missing with Colt McCoy is really the mobility. I mean, he has like half of the rushing yards per game as Daniel Jones. So I, I know it's a backup. I don't know if there's such a steep drop-off, though, between A to B. Of course there's a drop-off, or else Colt McCoy would be the starting quarterback, right? But I don't think it's as steep as everybody seems to keep thinking around here. Does that help? He hasn't played in a while, too, right? Well, yeah, it's been a while for him. I mean, he hasn't won a start since, like, I think it was like 2014 or something like that. Yeah. But he's been practicing. Mean, he, right- conversely, he's been practicing with the first team offense all week. So there's an optimistic point. The only, I think, shot that we have is that Joe Judge's team. I mean, I can't believe how, like, we had Sharma, we had McAdoo, but Joe Judge's team seems to be in, like, the games. He's been in every game. That's yes. what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, you know, um, Maybe it'll be the same, but I think we're going to get killed tomorrow. <laughs> I see, <laughs> Dominic, and I, and I know I, I understand you're a pessimistic Giants fan here, but I don't understand the 10.5-point spread. I said it before. I actually see this game being being close. Uh, like you said, the Giants play pretty much every team close, and the Seahawks did not put up, um, I don't know how do I say it, they did not put up a diamond versus the Eagles last week. They actually put up pretty much a, a lump of coal, actually. I think... I mean, the game was 0-0 up until the second quarter where they scored. the Seahawks scored 14 points at that point, and then the rest of the game was actually even. So um, this is, and I think the Giants' defense is better than the Eagles' defense. And In fact, I know that. So I think this is a lot closer than people think. I do think the Giants lose, though. I think the Seahawks 24, Giants 20. Um, but there is a possibility where this game could be won or lost on a special teams play or won or lost on a defensive pick six for the Giants. I mean, who knows? I just think it's it's going to be a lot closer than that 10.5 point spread. Let's head out to Brooklyn and Marcel. And you guys, if you want to get aboard, 877-337-6666. You know that number. What's up? You're on the fan. Hey, Danielle. Good morning, my friend. How are I'm you? back once again. I'm back once again. You saw, you saw everyone taking my first call in October. But now in December, I'm back with you. Love it. Yes, I'm a vet. Now, believe it or not, I'm a fan ambassador of all things sports, but especially for the New York Giants. But you're exactly right, Danielle, my friend, at Coach McCartan on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Believe me, if the Giants keep things up against Russell Wilson and those Seahawks is going to be the curse is broken. Together, Blue, the curse is broken continues. Marcel, Marcel, you sound like you're in an airplane. Where are you? (laughs) No, 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 no. I'm not the sounds of the airplane. That's the air conditioner here at Marlboro Houses here in my hometown of Gravesend. So I'm going to turn this air conditioning off in just a few minutes, though, Danielle. Believe me. Got it. 
Uh, the injury for our Giants, it will be doubtful for quarterback Jones, Denny Dimes, and questionable David Malio. For the Seahawks, Trey Flowers, Brandon Schell, Travis Homer, I'm a Homer, <laughs> Carlos Dunlap, Kyle Kohler, Carlos Hyde, right, and Damian yeah, Lewis. We get it. We get it. <laughs> what, do you have another point to make? I have a point to make. <laughs> I says having reading the injuries for both clubs for today's week thirteen in Seattle. Yes, I know, I know. Are, are any of them okay? Are there any of them that stick out to you as significant? What? Okay, Marcel. Thanks. <laughs> he's he's always a very cheerful caller. <laughs> I'm like I am laughing. Um. Oh, man, not laughing at you. I'm just laughing with you. <laughs> what? <laughs> anyway, so uh, that's the story with the Giants. I, I think a lot of people are, are making this, this, this drop-off with Colt McCoy out to be more than, than it really is. I think he's going to hold his own, to be honest with you. And I think just the defense that has been playing well, like I just said, the defense that has been playing very well, actually, um, needs to come up and come up big and pick up the teammate, pick up his teammate. Because uh, the Giants, this is really pivotal for them. If Okay, if the Giants win later today, 4.05 p.m., Fox versus the Seahawks, right? And then, I mean, the entire NFC East, they're all underdogs this week. But let's just say that the Giants somehow pull this one off. The Eagles lose to the Packers. Then the Reds, Redskins, the Washington football team loses to the Steelers. Then the Cowboys lose to the Ravens. If all of those things happen, I might play this parlay, actually. I might try to, try to do this. Giants win. The rest of the NFC East loses. The Giants' chance to win the NFC East at, at, like later tonight after all these games are done is 72%. And that's according to 538. I played with the little, the little boxes. Let me say it again. Giants' chance to win the NFC East, if they win and the rest of the NFC East loses out, is 72%. Now, I don't want to hear about what, you know, the uh, the record is. I don't want to hear it. Because once you get, if you're a Giant fan, you know this. Actually, me and my dad were there in Tampa to watch this game. As soon as you get into the playoffs, doesn't matter what seed you are. Soon, All you have to do is get into the dance. That's it. Because the Giants that year were the wild card team, made and won the Super Bowl. Just saying. I'm just saying. Now, do I think that team was a lot more talented than this team? Uh, individually, you know, individual players talented-wise? Yes, I, I do think so. But this Gi- Giants offensive line has been improving literally every single week, every piece of it, maybe except for Fleming, but that's another another thing. But all the rest of the guys definitely are. And you got the defense who's playing out of their minds. So I don't think you see a big game from D- DK Metcalf today. To be honest with you, I think uh, James Bradbury absolutely locks him down. If you were betting on anytime touchdown scores or multiple touchdown scores, like I usually like to do, you got to go Tyler Lockett with that. And I, I even considered Russell Wilson as like a, a running touchdown. But you know what? I mean, Logan Ryan and Jabril Preppers would be kind of playing spy, you know, on him. They have been playing lights out. So I, I wouldn't even do that. I think Russell Wilson will be contained, you know, his legs. 
And I think Tyler Lockett really is going to be the difference maker for this game because he's got the sixth most receiving touchdowns in the league. DK Metcalf has the fifth most receiving touchdowns in the league. So I don't know if the Giants have any chance in this. It's, it's going to be on the defensive side. And as far as the Jets, I think if you're a Jet fan, you are very worried. When you look at the schedule, the remaining teams for the Jets on their schedule, and especially how poorly the Raiders were beaten last week by the Atlanta Falcons, I think you're a little bit worried that the Jets might be able to pull off a victory. And if they do, you immediately should become a fan of any team that plays against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Because if you look at, including these games, and I looked at the remaining opponents and their winning percentage for both Jacksonville and the Jets. The Jets actually have a harder, really markedly more difficult strength of schedule remaining than Jacksonville does. So if the Jets could just lose to the Raiders, I think the the tank would be complete, I think. Because if you look at, they play the Raiders, the Seahawks, and while I think the Giants have a chance, the Jets absolutely don't have do not have a chance against the Seahawks. Jets then have the Rams, the Browns, the Patriots in that order, winning percentage of six eighteen. Jacksonville, they've got the Vikings, they've got the Mighty Titans, they've got Lamar and the Ravens. Bears are kind of fluffy. Colts, you never know what you can get, but their winning percentage of those teams there is a five sixty four. So. The Jets have the harder strength of schedule. You just got to be praying for a Raiders win today. And how do I see it playing out? I know this is the 1 p.m. game, CBS. I'm finally, I'm glad that they're not at, on at the same time again. That was brutal. I hate doing that. I know you guys tried helping me on Twitter set up like a yeah, different, uh, different setups and different cords and screens and everything. It just didn't work for me anyway. But how do I see the Jets game playing out? Uh, let me let me give you a hint on the score here. Derek Carr. And the Raiders are absolutely going to utilize this game as a rebound, as a get-right game, as a redemption game, whatever you want to call it. They were absolutely embarrassed last week. Five turnovers in a game. Derek Carr had, what, three fumbles lost, three strip sack fumbles. His, His fumble rate is four times higher than the league average on sacks. Did you know that? Anyway, final score prediction. Raiders 30, Jets 10. I think somehow the Jets manage a touchdown. Somehow, you heard Steve Cofield say before, the Raiders secondary isn't that good. Maybe Mims finally gets his first touchdown in a year. Who knows? And then maybe a field goal on top of that. I mean, right? Raiders 30, Jets 10. And I know the the spread was only like eight points or something like that. I think it's going to be a blowout. Complete the tank. Tank for Trevor. Okay, we'll get more of your calls after the break. It's football Sunday. Yankees and Mets hot stove. It's not really that hot, but we could talk about it. And, of course, Kyrie Irving. He's not planning to talk to anybody in the media uh, moving forward. So uh, get aboard, 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan, After Midnight, on The Fan. Welcome back, everybody. It is 545 here in the morning. Uh, New York City, lower Manhattan here in New York. This is your last chance to get aboard. 
That's it. This is it. This is your last chance. 877-337-6666. We have the MLB winter meetings are coming up this uh, this week, December 6th. Oh, the 2020 MLB winter meetings begin December 6th. I guess that's today. Wow, we. Do you want the DH in the NL and the NL or not? I, yes. I mean, it's long overdue for me for a multitude of reasons. I, I thought, I, I articulated before that, for the, I, one, the entertainment value. I do not care to see pitchers swinging a bat. I don't care to see them trying to whiff at a bunt. That's the first thing. The entertainment value, DH, automatically makes baseball better, uh, more entertaining at least. Two is the fact that, you know, way back when, pitchers and players weren't really paid much money like they are today. So if you have your pitcher that's, trains differently than the rest of your position players. And believe me, I've talked to John Wetland about this. I talked to Jeff Nelson about this and others. Pitchers train muscularly differently than position players. So to ask them to go out and do position player things like run the bases and and all that, swing a bat, it's just, it's different. It's a different level of conditioning. It's a different type of conditioning. And so when you invest, like Garrett, think of Garrett Cole, the over $300 million in a player over the course of time, the last thing you want them to do is to do something atypical for, for the way that they've been training, for um, running the bases, for jamming their finger on a base, like what, Chen Ming Wang, right? You don't want to see that happen to Garrett Cole in a World Series game, let's say, or an interleague game. You don't want to see it. So in that sense, put a position player in the spot. If Let's, let's, uh, let's forget about the pitchers batting, please. Okay, so NL, hopefully during this winter meetings they can work it out. And if not this year, hopefully – for the year following in, in the CBA. Last chance to get aboard, 877-337-6666. I will get to all of you guys. Sparky and Dobbs Ferry, you're on the fan. Oh, how are you doing, Coach? I'm good, Sparky. How are you this week? All right. Um, when you interviewing Sweeney Murdy, yes. I think he underestimated Steve Cohen. Because in my mind, what you just brought up about the DH and the National League and the winter meetings, if that's settled during the winter meetings, I think after the winter meetings, Steve Cohen is going to open up the cash box. Yeah, I think that's what kind of we're everybody's waiting for, just to see because you we have that we have to know no matter what team you are, you know we have to know if there's going to be a D a DH or not. At that point, like you said, they can open up their checkbooks and plan accordingly. So yes, I agree with you. Now, because let's face it, I mean, one year with Lemayu. So what? He DHs the fifth year. What's the big deal? Or he plays first base. What's the big yeah. deal? I mean, I know. the guy is exactly what that team is missing. I they don't know. have guys that hit the ball. Yes. I mean, coach, let's face it. During the regular season, they're like your typical town bullies. They beat up on lousy pitching. <laughs> and then when they face a good pitching, they look lost. I know. I know. I know. Uh, DJ LeMahieu is is the antithesis antithesis of of what that Yankee lineup really is. It's feast or famine, and and if it's the fifth year that's holding them up, I really don't understand it. And you know, like the one thing though, as far as the Yankees with everything going, they talk. Oh, you hear to talk about the luxury tax. Mm-hmm. If they're thinking about winning the World Series, they better forget the luxury tax. What I say too. T- yep. They got too many needs. I mean, gosh, not. I mean, LeMay is obvious, but, I mean, with their pitching. Who's and, the number two starter? We don't know yet. I mean, 
I mean, like, you can't bring back a guy like Herman. I'm sorry. I just wouldn't. I Personally, I don't want him on the team. Yeah, well, it's going to be up to, to Steinbrenner. You know, for bad reasons, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But now, I understand you're going to be playing on Boomer's softball team. <laughs> well, uh yeah, I mean, I, I think I think I got the invite. So, uh, are you yeah. gonna be? Are you gonna be the shortstop? I, wherever you know what, Sparky, I'm just happy to be part of the team. Once I sign my my mega deal contract, um, wherever they want to put me, I'm fine with. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, they're gonna be calling you DJ McCartan? Oh, huh? D, D, DJ McCartan, I like it. Or DD even shortstop or Derek Derek McCartan, even better. And you know, you mentioned about the Giants. The two reasons with Daniel Jones. I got to go you would round with reason two also. There's one thing I'm wondering. Do you think if that game was being played here and not in Seattle that he'd be playing? No, I, I don't think so either way. Because like I said, and thanks for the call there, Sparky. Um, no, I don't think so. I don't think wherever it it's being played is a factor. I just think that it's, it's pain tolerance because I had a hamstring thing once and you know, it's pain tolerance number one, and number two, I really, I really don't think that the Giants want to risk anything versus the Seattle Seahawks team, which they are ten and a half point underdogs to. <clears throat> Excuse me, uh, I, I really think they're saving him for one more week, rest it up, get as close to as hundred percent as you can, and then you put him out there um, for the playoff push. Because right now, if the season ended today, the Giants would have the fourth seed in the playoffs, and. He gives them the best chance to go far in the playoffs. Beyond, let's just say, not far, but maybe let's say beyond that wild card game. But again, like I said before, you, you never know what happens. So no matter where that game was played, whether it be in Seattle, and I know the flight would have an impact on the hamstring too in playing. Um, I believe he's traveling, but I don't. He's obviously probably not going to be playing. But um, nah, either way, if it was here, in New, if it was here in New Jersey, I should say here in New Jersey or there in Seattle, to me, I don't think it would have mattered. Steve in Manhattan, you're on the fan. All right, Danielle, and it is freezing out here, man. Is it? Wait till you get outside. You're going to love it. Oh, no, and, am uh, I? <laughs> yeah, you're going to really love the cold. Listen, Danielle, who led the Mets in doubles in 1970? Now, I'm just joking. Oh, around. Jesus, I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm only I'm joking around, but it might be Cleon or AG if there's someone ever looked it up. But um, first of all, I'm really glad you're on the team with, with Boomer and them. It'll be This is going to be the three, four hitters. Carton, McCarton. <laughs> now, you know... Craig is going to bogart shortstop. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You could be better than him. It doesn't matter. He's going to play shortstop. But I'm glad you're on the team. Wherever they need me. There would be a... What? Wherever they need me. Yeah. You, you kidding? You believe me. When you want to see some of these guys play, <laughs> you should be the shortstop. And, oh, uh, the shots thing... fired. <laughs> Go ahead. Right. But the thing is, like, but we're glad you're on the team. There's no way they could keep you off that team. There's no, there's a lot of guys out, a lot of people out to be really in a bad mood with that. But I'm glad you're on it. And listen, you have fun out there. You know, you can play your home games in, in Staten Island, Yankee, where the, the, the minor league team is gone, right? Oh, is that where they are? Now, no, they don't play there. But they, they but the thing is, that the Staten Island Yankees are gone. Yeah, you know? no, I know there's that. So maybe, maybe we can play. Oh, that's what you're saying. Maybe we can play a game there. That'd be cool. Yeah, maybe play some home games. Eh? It's a yeah. nice field. It's pretty nice. But the thing with the DH, I've been saying that for years now. The National League needs it. I think it's ridiculous that the, you know the leagues play with different rules mm-hmm. than the World Series rolls around. I just think it's an unfair situation, really, for both leagues when you think about it. And here's one. Like, who was the first pitch? I know you don't know. Half the audience doesn't know. 
to throw a no hitter with all with the DH, all major league hitters, no little league hitter, meaning the pitcher, and it was Steve Busby. Now, half his audience would have thought it would be Nolan Ryan back in 1973. Now, Busby pitched two no hitters in his career. And I know in the fan they always say that no one got injured back there. I don't know where they come up with this. Not this. Busby blew his arm out, right? He was played for the Royals. Let me tell you, if he didn't blow his arm out, George Brett might have been Mr. October. Hmm. Yeah. I'll, I'll take your word for it there, Steve. <laughs> you know who George Brett is? Yes, I know who George Brett is. I know, I know, I'm always sitting around. <laughs> oh, my God. The DH expansion of the, uh, the yeah. rosters, I agree in. Yeah. But I have... I've said 27 because they're using so many pitches now. Mm-hmm. And they also should um, sign the American kids at 16. They'll work out high school. They'll create interest. The kids will love it. Give them the throw of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And also, I've also said this. I, this is usually where the, where the call gets hung up on. Doing a major league game. Let the, a foul ball, if a fan catches it, it's an out. They create excitement. The fans will go, oh, wow. No. The kids will want to go to the game. Oh, no. You don't think that's a good idea? Come on. <laughs> Steve, thanks for the call there. Um, I agree with you in the, the the path to the MLB needs to be a little less windy. I think excitement is generated in the NBA when the player gets drafted and is immediately on the team. And in the NFL, when a player gets drafted, they're immediately on the team. Now, I think that's kind of what the MLB is trying to do in this reorganization of the minor league teams. I, I, I think that's what they're trying to do. And, of course, George Brett. Come on. I went to the, the uh, Kauffman Stadium tour like two Februarys ago, and it was freezing, but George Brett is all over that place. We they took us to the George Brett statue in the outfield, George Brett statue behind the play. I, I know, I know, I know. All right, I think, uh, oh, and by the way, catching the ball as an out, do you know what kind of carnage that would cause in the stands? I know I would be jumping all over people to make it, make it out. I mean, it's a funny idea. It, it'll never fly. <laughs> Sorry, I hate to burst your bubble. Tim in Queens, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle, thanks for taking my call. Of course. I just want to say something about the DH. I, I'm surprised that you, like, uh, like it because my opinion, excuse me, um, like in the National League, it was, it was the purest thing, the first rule in baseball, nine guys on each team. The American League would always not follow the first rule to have a DH. That's ten. Okay, the pitcher can't hit. They train differently. I heard you say all that. Mm-hmm. Hey, the second baseman can't hit so good either. Oh, let's have a DH for him. Oh, the shortstop can't. Let's have a DH for him. He's trained differently. It'll be like football. You have offense and defense after a while. That's the way it's heading. It should no. Pitchers should be pitching and should be hitting because they control what's the batter's head. Okay, and they have no contact. They don't have to get up to the plate and face the other pitcher. They control what the batter's head. Just like when they threw a piazza said, Clemens. He didn't have to worry about getting up to bat. He control what anybody's head. That's just what I think, uh, Danielle. I don't know. What do you feel about Tim, that? Tim, how many times is headhunting actually occur in a game? Well, not just headhunting, just throwing pitches at the other batters. I mean, just the fact that they're up there and they don't have to worry about getting up to bat. That they can do throw the pitches, you know, and they're throwing them 100 miles an hour, some of them. I, I don't think that's... Uh, well, not I, only I, that, but it's just... Like, baseball, like I said, why are they changing the rules? It started off nine guys. That was the first rule of baseball. They're now they're going to have a DH. Oh, it's, it's a way beyond time. Pony. It should be nine guys. The pitcher should always hit just like he always did. I mean, the National League was always interesting when a pitcher came up. You always had to work around that. That's when coaching came in, managing. Mm-hmm. Now they're not, that's all American League. Ah, you just make the lineup, change the pitches, 10 pitches in one inning. Eh, I yeah. don't know. If you had a, a $320 million Ferrari, Tim, yeah. would you park it in the garage or would you 
or you would leave it out in the driveway or even park it on the street? What would you do? I got my 65,000 Corvette, and I park on the street every once in a while. I do what I want, you know. I don't <laughs> live scared, you know. You you, you got to go. You got to live. You just can't pitch and not and hide behind your other players, and you can throw it beat, not not so much a head on them, but you should be up to bat just like everybody else. So you're you're suggesting, and thanks for the call, Tim. Tim is now suggesting that the AL completely drops the DH and we go in the reverse way. <laughs> uh, unfortunately uh, for you, Tim, <laughs> how do I say this without being like, but baseball is, is trying to go the route of being more exciting. And to the younger fan, and I include myself in the younger fan, I'm not calling you old, Tim, by any means, but um, more runs equals more excitement nowadays. Do I agree with it? Not Probably not really, but I you know, I, I do like the bunt. I do like the hit and run. I do like the steal, all that stuff. But, you know, having a DH in place of a, a pitcher, a multi-million dollar pitcher, that Ferrari, I would park it in the garage every chance I got. I would never park it in the street, maybe once in a while in the driveway. I would protect my pitcher at all, at all costs. And that means keeping his butt on the bench and a, a bat out of his hands. So thank you guys to all the callers. They're starting to music on me. Could not have done this without you guys. I love coming here, talking with you all every week. Special thank you again to WFAN Sweeney Murdy for joining me to bring us all the latest information on that Gio Urshela injury, DJ LeMahieu's free agency situation, and so many other Yankees offseason potentials. That happened at 3.20 a.m. And for my inaugural beatboxing segment, oh, the winner, by the way, is Steve Cofield from Las Vegas Sports Radio Network. Thanks to Joe. You came in second place. (laughs) And Joe from Turn on the Jets, that is. That happened at 4.20 a.m. Actually, while you're there on the Radio.com Rewind, why don't you just go ahead and rewind to 2 a.m. Listen to the whole thing all over again. Great job to Nick behind the glass. Seth Cantor on the updates. I see you guys next week. Bob Salter's up next. Sports Radio 101.9 FM. WFAN.